0: The name's Bond. James Bond. What do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. No, I'm 007.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: this never happened to the other fellow. I'm Every penny of it. See, so you put your money where your mouth is. Well, that's quite a nice little nothing
3: you're almost wearing. I approve. I'll do anything for a woman with a life. I
4: may be small, but I never forget. Kill Bond now. To the right. To the right.
2: Shocking, positively shocking. You
1: get your clothes on, I'll buy you a trade.
5: <laughs> it is Double 7, a James Bond podcast coming to you for your favorite type of episode, a clip show. Yay! Celebrate the clip show time because we are here to celebrate the best bits of our interviews that we have had here on Double 7. Not only is it strange that we are celebrating a ninth best of don't even get me started on how that is possible but we have somehow enticed guests to appear on this show and a wide collection of guests i will say that you are going to hear from today these are all the snippets from all the guests that as of right now we have had on the show so you are going to hear clips from people who have appeared in bond they've sung about bond they've written books about bond they've made movies on bond They've made movies that have been connected to Bond. They've acted in big TV shows that have also then gone on to movies and connected to Bond. And a guy who watched James Bond. Lots of Bond connections here. So you're going to hear in this order too, I believe. Robert Darby, of course, played Sanchez in License to Kill. Shirley Manson sang the theme song for The World Is Not Enough, part of, of course, the lead singer of Garbage. Anthony Rossi-Rocky who is on the Oz Network but then watched Bonds and likes Octopussy, so he's weird. Nicholas Susick, who, by the time you've heard this, has written another 37 books on James Bond. We've had him on a couple of times to talk about his books that he's written about James Bond. Ken Kloppis, director of The Beautician and the Beast, director to James Bond in Timothy Dalton, of course, in our series of movies where we look at the films of the actors of James Bond. Max Baer, who runs the Die Another Day memes page, so that's a fun one there. Speaking of Die Another Day, Mikel Gore, who, of course, was in Die Another Day, always an excuse to talk about that movie. Fran Dresser, the frickin' nanny, because why wouldn't we get her on a James Bond podcast? She acted alongside Timothy Dalton, the beautician of the beast. So that's why we got her on. VJ Armitraj played VJ in Octopussy. Julian Garber played Christados in For Your Eyes Only. Mark Edlitz wrote a book on what would have happened if Timothy Dalton had played more James Bond, as well as some other great elements of future and side James Bond projects. And Matthew Bauer, who of course directed the film The Other Fellow, talking about real people called James Bond. It's a long one. You're going to love it. I know you like long ones, so this is where you're going to sit back, relax, and listen to the best of, part nine of 007. Our interviews, all the interviews that have appeared on this show.
6: How did your involvement start with the License to Kill? Like, uh, Were you brought in to audition for this, or did they have you in mind? And What was the development of the Sanchez character like when you were brought in?
7: Well, first off, you had Again, when I was born in Astoria, Queens on Long Island, and then grew up in Dix Hills. My mother was born in Southampton, oddly enough, from an Italian immigrant family. Now, also part of watching the Bond films when I was younger, it always said, Albert R. Broccoli Presents. And you had that. At one time, it had Broccoli and Saltzman, but then it had Albert R. Mm-hmm. Broccoli Presents. And you always, and I would always say, who is this Italian fellow? Who's this Romulus Broccoli, and then Cubby was born in the story of Queens, by the way, where I was born, and he grew up in Sag Harbor. So, the cut to Los Angeles, mid '80s, late '80s. uh, Goonies, I do Goonies. A big fan of the Goonies film was Tina. uh, Tina Broccoli, Cubby's daughter. Wow. She was a big fan of Bond, and Tina said she got to know me through a, a, a place where uh, we all used to hang out by Cafe Roma, Mickey Rourke, Schwarzenegger. I brought all these guys to this restaurant. Still people are going to it today in Beverly Hills. But, uh, so I'd go there, and, and Tina said to me, oh, my dad would love you. Uh, and then she found out I was born in Astoria, Queens, and all this other stuff, and Italian. And then she arranged a dinner for me to meet her father and mother, stepmom, Dana. Albert and and Dana. And uh, I hit it off with Cubby beautifully. And uh, a couple of years later, I had done a film called "Terrorist on Trial that was way ahead of its time, the United States of America versus Salim Ajami. I played a Palestinian kidnapped by the United States government to stand trial for acts of terrorism. And uh, I played the, the title character and Sam Waterston played the prosecutor pre-law and order, and uh, Ron Lieben played a Jewish defense attorney put there to defend this Palestinian terrorist that uh, that was running for that was in trial, and uh, courtroom drama written by Levinson Link, two of the greatest names in television up till then, the you know, major writers. Last script they wrote together, produced by a guy named George Englund, who was subsequently Brando's one of Brando's best friends and also ran Brando's company, Penny Baker, back in the day, and directed and produced The Ugly American with Brando. Wow. And this was George's brainchild. George was always ahead of the, the, the topics. He also did a thing called Shoes of the Fisherman. But very top-shelf ideas. Anyway, that film had come out on, uh, on TBS one evening, Sunday night, I think it was, three-hour special. I was on the cover of the L.A. Times, New York Times, and it raved about my performance, and Richard Maybaum was watching the show and he called up cubby broccoli and richard maybomb said to cubby broccoli put on channel two right away and cubby says i've got it on he goes that guy that's the next bond villain and cubby says i agree and they called me in the next day and i met with michael wilson and cubby broccoli and then subsequently they set up a meeting for me to meet with um uh uh, uh, timothy dawkin and then the, uh, and Michael Wilson and, uh, and the rest and, uh, bingo. Wow. I was, uh, off at the part. And they said that Cubby said to me, you're going to hear a lot of noise on the street because every agent in the world is going to go after the thing. And we'd like to create a little bit of suspense around all of it, but you're the guy. And they, you know, gave, uh, we, we talked about the character, developed certain things for it. And it became a terrific character. And, uh, the, uh, Michael Wilson, because uh, there was a writer strike had to take over the writing for it, and it became a great uh, piece.
5: And, and how does that feel as such a fan then of the Bond series to get that that offer? I mean, that must be, I mean, you know, too incredible to obviously pass up and, and to play the villain as well, the the, the main antagonist. I mean, that, that, there must be a lot going through your mind at that point, Robert, going, this is, this is incredible.
7: Yes, I mean, there, there, there were, prior to that, I mean, I had gotten notoriety for my acting. People liked it. My mentor was Stella Adler. I was in the actor's studio, so I had gotten, I'd gotten some, a lot of uh, a good uh, encouragement, so to speak, and also even the director, Robert Aldrich. Earlier in the 80s, when I did Hill Street Blues and I did a play in Los Angeles, I would, I, 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 Robert Aldrich called to meet with me, and he offered me a three-picture deal. One of the pictures, and it's a long story. I won't go into it today, was Man on Fire. That was initially me. And then the other book I gave him was Preeti's Honor. We were going to do a three-picture deal that they signed me to. And then Robert Alters passed away. So I had had a shot almost at really becoming an entity. And now the Bond film was a uh, reawakening of, uh, cause, uh, of, of, of having the – because there's no film bigger than, than Bond internationally at that time there was nothing it dwarfed everyone else i mean that year licensed uh, lethal weapon came out and batman and a bunch of other stuff but yet overseas of which i went to i i went to australia perth adelaide brisbane sydney um uh, melbourne i i all over australia to promote the film good to hear um and all over the world mm-hmm. you know from asia to uh to Europe Did you go to Winnipeg and, uh, in Canada at all, Robert? Did you Did you head north <laughs> Robert, to Winnipeg? Did not. No, we we missed Winnipeg. Ah, oh, uh, damn. But I've been to, to Toronto, of course.
5: There you go, many Colin.
7: times, and to Woodbridge, oh, uh, and uh, um, as a matter of fact, they have a a star on the Italian Walk of Fame. Wow. In, uh, in, in on it used to be in college. Now they're moving it to Woodbridge, I think, where where there's a huge Italian contingent. Wow. Contingency uh, with along with Phil Esposito and and uh, some other wonderful people, great people. But the, um, and I've been at Fallsview Casino. I did a huge concert there at Fallsview, three nights uh, in Niagara Falls. But anyway, the the, uh, getting back to that, uh, yeah. I mean, doing a Bond film is, uh, uh, that was just, uh, yeah. And it's still, because there are films that that go around today, every two years or every time a new Bond film comes out, everyone looks at all the past Bond films. Mm And there's some kind of retrospect done on those villains or that, you know, again, Timothy Dalton, the Bond film we did, the second film, License to Kill, which was a, we went back to Casino Real to uh, where Bond and the villain were mirror images of each other. And that was a very, you know, interesting thing. That was, so I played, even though Sanchez was a Colombian drug lord, so to speak, I played him as if he was, if James Bond was a Colombian drug lord. You wow, wow. I mean, wow. <laughs> I mean uh, uh, at least with that, with that adjustment a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The, 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 uh, now, of course, the actions that he does don't let you uh, do that. And Timothy, you know, had the edge of, of how the villain would be in terms of revenge. And I think one of the lines that we discussed and I put in there with Michael Wilson was loyalty is more important to me than money.
4: Mm.
7: And uh, that was something that, you know, because it became this guy's Achilles' heel. It was was his Achilles' heel was his need for loyalty. And then uh, at least Sanchez's. But anyway, um, as as you see, License to Kill now looked at by people in retrospect is a much more interesting film perhaps than they thought at the time.
5: I also read that in, in preparation for the role, uh, obviously given the, the drug cartel connections that Sanchez has in the film and, and the type of character that you yourself, uh, to research and get ready for this role, had to get involved with some quite interesting characters in preparation for, for this film. I mean, what was what was that like? How do you go about finding some Colombian drug lords? I guess you don't just get the phone book and try and dial a few.
7: I guess it's a bit more difficult than that. Actually, you'll find all types in Beverly Hills, <laughs> and, uh, and, and especially in Hollywood. It was the 80s too, wasn't it? Anything so. <laughs> you know, yeah, end of the 80s. So anyway, so yeah, you just questioned, I heard somebody was a Colombian guy, and I said, really, he was from Medellin, and he, I think through a model, I think through a, one, of these, one of these girls that became a pleasure wife of Adnan Khashoggi or something, there was some... It was, and I heard that she had an ex-boyfriend who was dealing, and uh, he was from Colombia and Medellin, and I said, "Oh, can I can I talk to this guy?" And he knew then the uh, the um, uh, what is it the uh, architect, a guy that did uh, Escobar's house. Wow. And uh, oh, wow. And then and then yeah, then I then I talked, and then subsequently in the '90s. Uh, in the early right around then, you know right early, uh, I, I met pablo Escobar in, in uh, Brazil. wow
8: how
5: does that how does that go how How do you go into that meeting someone like that and I guess try and stay calm?
7: <laughs> well, first off, I didn't know I was meeting him. Wow, okay. <laughs> I was in Brazil doing a film with a Finnish director. I was in Manaus, which is uh, Manaus is northern in Horaima part of Brazil. I was doing a film with Mika Kaurismaki, great uh, Finnish director, him and his brother Aki. Aki gets a lot of awards and Nika's uh, like uh, he's kind of like uh, commercial and art, a uh, little different. But anyway, he did this film called Amazon, Amazon. And it was about the Garimpos, the gold diggers in the Amazon rainforest. And uh, I wound up playing this character and we were there for like nine weeks. Uh, and I was in Horaima in Manaus where the rubber barons used to be. They had this beautiful, the Hotel Trapacal, this amazing, uh, place built right in the middle of the jungle, kind of like a Fitzcarraldo thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, there I am, and uh, I'm in this big dining room after being in the in the deep jungle in Tepecan and Boavista for like a few weeks, where there was just old monkeys, old monkeys, and and uh, Finnish crew with uh, high on vodka. You know, <laughs> it was funny. But. So I finally get to civilization, and I'm there in this wonderful banquet hall. And um, a couple of guys approached me uh, and uh, they the film had just been released in Brazil a couple of weeks earlier. Wow. And um, it was like very big over there. And they said to me, oh, Robert Dabi, we would love to uh, invite you, our friend. Uh, uh, knows you're in town uh, because there was publicity on it. We'd love to invite you to the villa and have something to drink and maybe meet and talk. I said, ooh. And he says, oh, no, it doesn't matter, but we take you. Uh, and I was, I says, huh? And he says, he's very interesting, man. And, uh, you know, the, he will uh, love to have this and you'll be rewarded for your, you know, whatever. So he, not rewarded, but something that led to, I think I was going to get a Rolex watch. You know what I mean? If I showed up. <laughs> right. That kind of vibe. Right. All right. And, and, be, and being, you know, here I was in the rainforest and they said, oh, this is interesting, you know. All right, I'm, I'm up for an experience. So they took me and they drove me for about 45 minutes into the jungle. And then an area, little dirt road kind of thing in the middle of the jungle. And then all of a sudden this area opens up. Like there's like a, a gate that has trees on it that is hidden. And then another long road that's uh, paved uh, into the jungle. And then this villa in the middle of this area and guards. And then all of a sudden it becomes apparent, you know, uh, that I'm going to meet somebody interesting. And then I meet this guy, uh, Pablo Escobar. Wow. And he told me some interesting stories. He, he liked the film. He liked the idea of the loyalty is more important <laughs> to me than money. He mentioned that. Uh, he said, And then he mentioned, he says, you know, and I knew this. He goes, in my house in Medellin, we have a. Uh, in my, I had one of the houses, I had a, a, uh, in the middle of the house, there's a track. It goes out and in. And we, we play, I play with my friends, we play Lulu, which is I guess a card game there, and we drink Aguardiente. It goes, and every, every few minutes you hear, and we stop, and we watch the gate of the Paso Fino horse. Now, there's a special horse that they... Pasofino horse is, you know, half a million dollars a piece based on the gait. Their left goes together. Their right, you know, so there's no jiggly. Very Mm -hmm. easy to ride in the mountains and indigenous to that area. Uh, So he told me that would be interesting to have the Pasofino horse to show the appreciation of these beautiful animals. And then he said, uh, "I tell you my mentality. When I was young, and I'm a businessman, when I was young... I wanted to buy a discotheque and they didn't let me buy the discotheque. They didn't sell it to me because I was in. they said I was unsavory. So they wouldn't sell me the discotheque and I offered them double the money. They wouldn't sell it. So what I did was I built a couple of years later, the exact replica across the street to a Mm T and I charged no one, any, any fee to come in to drink, nothing and put them out of business. Wow. (laughs) because they didn't tell it to me. This is my mentality.
5: Wow. Anyway,
7: so that was a very interesting uh, peek into his his, a little bit of his psyche.
5: And and I can definitely imagine then, Robert, that you're glad he liked the film. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't imagine if he's he's brought you to his place like that, only for him to be like, I have some problems with the way you played that character. I didn't like it.
7: Well, that's like what happened to the CNN reporter recently. You hear what happened to him? Yeah, was that the... Um,
5: that wasn't Anderson Cooper, was it? Was it? And he, he got all the way in deep with that? Um, Am I thinking of the right person?
7: No, another guy, Ashland something or other, went to some kind of cultish thing, mm-hmm. some religious cultist, and they made him eat a monkey brain. Ah, the, right, no, and different And he was talking one, yeah, too much. And the, yep. And the chieftain... You should read that article. It's kind of frightening. Hmm. I mean, yes, yeah, something could go sour, but no, 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 this was... No, I knew the film was, the, the, you know, I portrayed the guy, you know, if you look at it, no act of violence, there's only one act of violence that Sanchez really uh, does uh, that's not in response to something that's done to him. There's only one act of violence. All the other acts of violence, Sanchez is responding to something that was done to him mm-hmm. first. So if you're going to play the game, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, can you, do you know the one act of violence committed that really Um, wasn't committed to Sanchez? Now, uh, uh, do you Uh, want to guess calling you Lupe, right? No. Lupe, first off, the whipping of Lupe should have been erotic, but they couldn't do eroticism and uh, and
0: violence to women,
7: especially back then. Look at Fifty Shades of Grey. The game, it was a game that they played, that Lupe played with Sanchez. That was a game, a sexual game. Really that's what that was really intended for because bonds as a whole have all a sadomasochistic undertow in the books. There is a bit of that in there. So it was a, a method of, of eroticism where she knew she would get punished if she was a bad girl, you know what I mean? So there's that whole, but, but that was never, that was, that could never be played, uh, you know, in the film that could never be. So they had to put tears in her eyes. You know what I mean? As opposed to it being something that was, but still, no, Loopy, uh, she knew what she did. I mean, she went and she screwed somebody else. Mm. You know, to make Sanchez angry. My
5: my, my guess, you know? my guess would be um, how much when the you... whole
7: thing was how much do you love me, Sanchez? Mm. You know what I mean? Will you risk your life to come and get me? You know what I mean? So that's the cat and mouse. So he risks his life.
5: Yeah, I was going to guess uh, when. Um... You uh, and I, I'm going blank on the character's name when you put the guy in the the uh, the pressure the hyperbaric chamber. Oh,
6: Crest. Crest. Oh, no, yeah, no Crest.
5: that's not it either. No. We're, we're big Bond fans here, <laughs> no, uh, Robert. We're that, huge. Um...
7: <laughs> that was done. That was done because Bond set that guy up. Bond was the one that set. Uh, um, uh, what's his name? Anthony Zerby's character. Mm. Uh, forget his name now. No, there's Wilt another, there's, there's only one act of violence, really, that, and it's just because the guy was an irritant. Yeah. You remember, you want me to tell you? Yeah,
5: You're going to have to, because we're, we're really failing our, um,
7: our status <laughs> right, here I'll as a James you Bond podcast you here, Robert. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you the line, I'll give you the line, and you tell me who it is. Time to start cutting overhead.
6: Uh, no, that wasn't Felix. No, uh,
7: near he the end of the movie, that
6: uh, Truman Truman Lodge.
7: Truman Lodge. There you go. Yes, the accountant. <laughs> I win. <laughs> the accountant. That was the only act of violence because he was an irritant. Thirty yeah. million. That's another great span. Another thirty million dollars. You know what I mean?
5: <laughs> Well, that, that was a good one. I mean, no one liked Truman Lodge, did they? Uh.
7: <laughs> no, he didn't. He was a little. He was a little irritant. That guy. You know what I mean? So, but but that was the. But, but think about it. Nobody liked him, but he was the one act of violence that Sanchez really commits that you could say is unjustified. It's
5: a good point. Mm-hmm. It's a, I mean, they, they, I mean, it's just it's interesting, sort of looking at it that way. And um, you know, I mean, we've done uh, we we obviously did our film recap on License to Kill, and we you know we we're doing film commentaries, Robert. So we'll we'll do that at one point. But I mean, with that, that's um, I, I mean, Colin, there you go. We didn't have that take on it at all. So uh, we've we've we've
7: learned something today <laughs> as well. And here's something else to add. I don't think, if I'm not mistaken, there's ever been a film where someone who was already dead was shot. Now, Sanchez, and this was, again, an improv. Remember when What's-His-Name takes uh, the uh, cyanide pill?
4: Mm-hmm.
7: Carrie here at the Gala played him. All right? And what do I do? He dies, and I pull up my gun. I go, puta. And I shoot him
4: mm-hmm.
7: because he didn't give me the satisfaction of killing him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, Sanchez, so after that, after that moment, and you guys could research. This would be good. I'd like to know if this is so. But after that moment, other films had people killing guys that were already dead. And you started the trend. I, well, Bond, look at I've been in trailers on big movie sets where the directors and the producers were watching Bond sequences for their action films to do takes on them. And the thing about Bond and something that Cubby always wanted was that the wardrobe there were a few times when they made the wardrobe of the of the moment and then they said no we don't want to do that we want to make it so you can watch this film in 20 years and not have it feel that dated you know what i mean in terms of music and wardrobe in some instances
6: and how did you find you know going through those three movies which really were just over the course of a few years and playing those different villains like did you carry experiences from one to the other
7: well they were all different weren't they I mean, mm-hmm.
6: look at the, I mean, you in, technically in, should have been in, a good guy in Die Hard. I mean, you were the FBI.
7: <laughs> <laughs> right, but, you know, that was at a time, you got to realize the psychology behind that film at that time. Bruce Willis had one more shot to be a movie star. His other two films had failed. His other films had failed at the box office. And Bruce Willis, because of his uh, character in Moonlighting, had a smirky kind of presence, a great presence, but smirky. Right? Mm-hmm. So, in Die Hard, they had to make him likable. When I first, I, I saw Die Hard with Arnold for the first time at 20th Century Fox. And when I come on the screen, who's in charge, not anymore, Arnold gets mm-hmm. up in his, his chair and he goes, this is fantastic. <laughs> this is great, yeah. <laughs> this, is great. this is fantastic. And then as, as, the, as the film went on and the character became more of a you know, it, it dissipated. He looks over at me and goes, you idiot. What do you do here? How come you turned into this idiot now? I you going to save the day here. And you're, and you're this fumbling FBI guy. What the hell is going on with you here? He, he was upset because... <laughs> all right. And I had a raw deal with Arnold back in the day. So here you have, you know... Uh, uh, they had to make the FBI guys stupid, of course, because they they couldn't come in to save the day. Was, it made Bruce Willis. You know, I mean, and, and and look at him walking around naked. And 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 uh, was brilliant, a brilliant uh, project to put him in. And initially, you know, who was supposed to do that character? Who got the book first to write? Sinatra. Yes. As Dirty Harry. Mm-hmm. They went to Sinatra first for Dirty Harry.
5: Wow, that's incredible. Different and again. So, going back to what you're talking before about right. uh, Man on Fire. I mean, just how different these. The Hollywood history could be, I guess you would say.
7: Well, look at at least my history.
5: Yeah, well, that's that's exactly. I'm just, I'm just trying to imagine these things. You know, I joked about our our feedback on iTunes. I mean, we've had three ratings. That to us is a that's a win. Like, I'm happy with that. Um, so to the shed mice of Viv Gilchrist and John John eighty one, uh, thank you. But also emails, one actually that we, we haven't talked about on air before, because I've only actually got this in the last couple of days, I, I need to read it out. Um, Bryn Groves, who has emailed us before, Bryn told us about the whole um, DVD situation, the timing situation for our commentaries. But this one, and this this actually ties in beautifully to the fact that we've had Robert Darby on this episode. Um <laughs> Brim writes, I'm going to read this word for word. It says, thanks, Ben. That was in response to our last email, clearly. I have to say, I've just listened to your License to Kill podcast and was frankly shocked by the big deal made by the blinking fish statue at the end of the movie. Joking about it is one thing, but anyone would have thought John Glenn had used stop-motion animation to make it look like the statue had come alive the way Colin and Noah were carrying on. Is it really that inconceivable for them that there can't be some piece of art which, when water moves through it, causes part of it to move wow there you go colin <laughs> <I'm sorry>. well <laughs> feedback
6: is good can Thanks, i elaborate Bri? on that uh, go for it first of all i mean we are more a comedy podcast here so we don't want to talk about you know how boring this blinking fish was it's just how <laughs> odd it is i mean if, if you really want an opinion uh miss groves or mr groves is it mr mr who did you say it was brin um that's open to oh, look, i don't want to be
5: i don't want to i don't know how do we how do we do right. this brin uh, a human being uh, noah's artist. cousin
6: noah's cousin uh <laughs> sorry brin sorry <laughs> or noah's alias yes, it's, it's probably just noah it is noah <laughs> <laughs> that's his european name uh it's brin yeah. <laughs> yep like Look, if you're up to this episode, Brynn, then you've heard Robert Dobby explain, and I know I'm critical of License to Kill as a movie, um, but the way that Robert Dobby explained how complex it was with the villains and everything, and, you know, how much thought they put into this... To have something as absurd as a blinking fish as the last shot of the movie is just a dumb thing to see at the end of the movie. It really makes no sense. I'm watching it right here as we're speaking. It's a blinking fish. Why is it there? I don't know.
5: Well, I'll tell you now, Bryn, that in our next chat with Robert, that's going to be one of the first questions that we make sure we ask him. (laughs) The blinking fish. You weren't in that scene. I'm sure you weren't involved in it. But was there any yeah. input that you found out that why there was a closing shot of the blinking fish? <laughs> well, I mean, our next planned episode, I guess, uh, will be our our man with the golden gun commentaries. That's what we drew out of a hat. But I mean, look mm-hmm. again. We've we've teased Robert Darby coming back on, and and hopefully, you know, uh, in that might be number. Excuse <laughs> me. <laughs>
6: <laughs> you were laughing at <laughs> one of our clips there again, weren't you?
5: <laughs> that was... um. Mm,
6: um <laughs> That's going to make the best of on the next 100th episode.
5: <laughs> this is why Spectre Etc. has six ratings and we only have three. Uh, <laughs> as I was saying... Robert Darby was going to come back on again. He has listened to this and (laughs) decided to go on Spectre, etc. But hopefully he might make his second appearance soon. So, um... (laughs) He's sure it's a question that often gets brought up to you, but how much of an honour is it to have done a Bond film theme? And do you think this is one of the highlights of your career?
1: Uh, It was a huge honour. And we're thrilled to be part of that franchise, um, a franchise that we still, you know, respect and still captures our imagination. So, yeah, it was a huge honour. Um, and it's certainly one of the memorable, the most memorable sort of opportunities that ever came our way that we grabbed with both hands and, and, and sort of thrust ourselves into with, with gusto and, um, yeah it was remarkable actually it, hurt, it was fraught with other perils but um, in retrospect
5: it, it was a great honour mm, it's one of my favourite Bond themes actually thanks uh, Jared for that question okay so
9: 25 is Die Another Day um, uh, 24 I know is going to be incredibly controversial but it is Goldfinger oh what what <laughs>
6: Yes. What?! I think that was my reaction when you sent me your, your, your two-thirds completed list, too. What?!
5: <laughs> That's the worst opinion ever I on said... this show and
6: I'm on this show right now. <laughs> Bro, Die Another Day being in your top five is the worst that opinion ever on the top show. Five. Was it? Continue, Rossi. <laughs>
9: um, 23, I have Dr. No. <gasps> <laughs> okay. Um... <laughs> 22, I have Diamonds Are Forever.
5: Ooh. No one's not happy about that one. And no, then... that's...
9: <laughs>
4: that's... That's... That... Ooh.
6: <laughs> Who oohs. Diamonds Are Forever being the bottom? That's like no, perpetually I... <laughs> a bottom movie. Oh, that's right.
9: <laughs> and 21, I have Live and Let Die.
6: Aww. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's too high. Um, <laughs> Just out of curiosity, before we... You know, give some opinions on that um the the sean connery like the early Connerys, being low goldfinger and dr no i think those being the more controversial ones what was it about those that that didn't click for you
9: well i feel like dr no was like a safe movie it almost it didn't feel like it was too outlandish it just felt very safe and i like i i, I appreciate it as like the welcoming entry for the But the movie series and kind of the production of what Bond would become and is, it just felt very safe. So I like there was nothing too special about it. Like I like I wouldn't say it's a bad movie. I just didn't appreciate it as much as some of the other ones. Like there was a lot more show and a lot more like spice to some of the later ones that really piqued my interest. But Goldfinger, I just had the hardest time getting into it. Like there was one thing I liked about the movie and the rest I just thought was so uninteresting. Like I just couldn't get behind it. Like it felt really forced for me. And I thought some of the gimmicks were kind of fake and I didn't like the feel of it. It just felt really weird to me. Can I, can I
5: ask two questions? First of all, how much had Colin poisoned die another day for you before you actually watched it?
9: (laughs) Um, he talked a lot about being, like, a really awful movie. But I was weirdly expecting going in to like it more than he had told me.
6: And you so, like, I was, rank like, it lower than I do, which is great.
9: <laughs> I, just, I just was really let down with a lot of the stuff. Like, we talked about the, the fencing scene. That was really cool. But that's the only thing that it has for me. Like, some really awful – it's like the peak – like movie when CGI was coming out. Like, that's what I think of. Like the ice palace collapsing was just atrocious to look at. Like some of the acting was horrible. Like it was just like so many things that I just could not like, like that I couldn't put anything lower than that for me.
5: The other question is, were you aware and I'm not like, it's your opinion at the end of the day, opinions like assholes. We've all got one, but (laughs) <laughs> I don't know why I had to bring that up. But like were you aware that sort of Goldfinger is kind of like the the foundations Conversely. for what a James Bond movie is? Like kind of if you think about how a James Bond movie should be for the most part, kind of Goldfinger was the one that really set that framework. Were you aware of the history, I guess, of what Goldfinger is in the franchise?
9: Um, maybe not specifically about the movie. I knew that it was loved because when I Colin had. I think Colin said something, or some something triggered where I realized like that was a really controversial take for me. I don't know if it was looking at rankings or like if like I said, Colin said something. But I just like I, can, I understand that like obviously so many people love it. I just couldn't get behind it, and so like it makes it hard for me, even if it is this seminal film that everyone talks about as this like huge Bond moment. It was so hard for me to follow or to to kind of get behind. I just, I just need to add. And what was the one wow.
6: thing you said you did like about it?
9: Oh, I loved when, like, he came into the, the hotel room or whatever and she was just dead, covered in gold. I thought that was mm-hmm. so cool. And I thought, like, visually, it was just, like, a crazy, like, unexpected, like, twist that, like, was really interesting to me. But, like, outside of that, it just, like, there's nothing that I was like, oh, that was cool. I love that. Mo- like, that. oh, that was great. Like, Whereas I feel like a lot of the other movies I've seen, there was at least something where I was, like, behind it almost.
5: Just just saying, just adding I the mean, fact it... that um, Goldfinger is going to be ranked lower than Moonraker and never say never again. But um, <laughs> just, just putting that out there.
9: 19, I have Quantum of Solace. Oh, God. Top 20? What? Sorry. I'll oh, shut up.
6: I had God. it in the top 20. You're an idiot.
9: <laughs> what am I going to? 16.
6: 16.
9: Okay. 18, I have Thunderball. Fickle oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> 17 I have the world is not enough ah! What? <laughs> get off our
5: show <laughs> Alright
9: thanks for having me Bye. That hurts <laughs> My heart is in pain <laughs> It's only going to get worse Ben It uh,
5: can't get worse That's 7, the best bomb movie of all time You got it at
9: 17 you idiots um, and 69 of Spectre.
6: Mm. Okay. So, I'm, I'm, honestly, that grouping, even though I, I'm very opposed to Thunderball being that low, but I, I'm aware that Thunderball is either a love it or hate it movie. Like, people will often have that in their top fives, they'll often have it in their bottom fives. You you only live twice as similar to that as well. It's either you love it or you hate it. Um, Spectre is very similar too. You know, it's not really controversial to have it low. In all honesty, World is Not Enough. I mean, it's still ranked higher than most people rank World is Not Enough. It's just Ben and I are such big defenders of that movie. And I'd I'd love to hear if you can point out anything about that movie that didn't work for you that does not have to do with Denise Richards. Because I think if you remove the small role of Denise Richards from that movie, it's a great movie. Like, what's your beef with World is Not Enough? Can someone,
9: like, I'm like trying to refresh my memory can like so the oil pipeline
6: it? electric king you think that she's the bond girl she turns out to be the villain judy she Dane was with the paper. the kidnapper all along the submarine at the end judy Dane. oh
9: i just oh, i felt like they were teasing like a lot of things like the whole like electric king thing just caught like yes it was the big twist but it just felt like it was like the dynamic dynamics between some of the characters felt really weird like especially when she like was betting all that money at the casino or something like that like i remember like a lot of those scenes being weird and i think there was like no chemistry between bond and some of the other characters whoa. in this movie like,
6: <laughs> like you totally sound like joey lawrence there But whoa <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry rossi sorry
5: Sorry, and sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> thought
9: I'd forgotten you. And obviously, uh, the Denise Richards uh, didn't help that as well. That's I think. That's fair. I don't know. I just think that there's a lot, and I didn't love the the male villain. I thought it God. that was weird. Really, we- not. I didn't like that. You just
5: said Pierce Brosnan doesn't have chemistry with people. Like, just, just, <laughs> just, just, just.
4: just. <laughs>
6: Just, 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 um, just, just. Any other <laughs> controversies there? I mean, Quantum of Solace, again, it's it's probably around where I ranked it. I may have ranked it one or two spots higher than that. Um, Spectre. I think, uh, you've, you've picked the Daniel Craig movies to be near the bottom of the
5: list. I would just say that I think, um, you know, personal thoughts aside, I'm not a Thunderball fan. That's in my bottom five. Um, I don't rank Never Say Never Again because <laughs> it, Uh, Yeah, but um, Spectre is one that I personally defend a lot more than a lot of people because I think it's the best of the Daniel Craig movies because I'm an idiot. (laughs) Um, But I I think that, yeah, that's probably justified for most people because I think Spectre's getting a lot of hate now, now that a few years have passed. So, yeah. Uh,
6: Well, let's keep it going. We're... Gonna
9: go, I guess, uh, fifteen to eleven. All uh, right, fifteen. Uh, <laughs> Skyfall. Um... Oh, what? <laughs>
6: Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> I feel like somebody just killed one of my children. What did you do?
9: <laughs> uh, you wanted this, not me.
5: Nobody um... wanted this. People thought this would be logical, but. You're listening to 007. Uh, Why didn't you go on Spectre, (laughs) etc.? My god. Continue. We'll have our chance.
9: Uh, 15 Skyfall. 14, A License to Kill. Too high.
6: Too high. Continue.
9: 13, The Spy Who Loved Me. (gasps) Oh, (gasps) Jesus. That was our number
5: one overall (laughs) on average from all three of us. Wow, 13th.
9: Uh, twelve, uh, golden knight. Oh! <laughs> oh
4: it's painful,
6: and moonraker
5: like... Haven't even been listed yet. What is this? <laughs> All
6: right.
9: It's just really successful for me and I like you? I really enjoy watching it
6: do you buy the love story between Bond and Best? I was about
5: to ask birth? that. I was about to ask do you believe they fell in love over like three days? Just like a month and a Don't half. Don't start this crap in three days.
6: I would say so. There.
9: Shut up, Ross. Colin and I got a heated debate about love stories once in a movie. So
6: that, Wasn't that swept <laughs> away? Wasn't I in that episode? Yeah, well? swept away. <laughs> But I did they were in love. Oh. Bond gets tortured. Now, he's with her for three days before he's tortured. Then she's with him in the hospital for weeks afterwards. And Ben still believes that is not there a realistic is, amount of time for a love no story.
5: no months. It is only a few days.
6: Yet, he defends the love story in Titanic as being plausible when they know each other for a day and a half. When you're falling in love with either Kate Winslet or
5: Leonardo DiCaprio, you're going to fall in love in like 40 hours. Shut up.
6: If you're Eva Green and Daniel Craig, like, I don't care if you're straight, heterosexual, pansexual, whatever it is. You're in love with both of them by the end of three days.
5: Well, I don't know who Daniel Craig is. It's Daniel Craig, but whatever. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Were you North Americans name correctly? correctly? <laughs> <laughs> God damn it.
6: <laughs> um, Rossi's on my side. Ben is the only person on the planet. Who thinks that it's unrealistic That's to not fall in true. love?
5: Watching and everything even... wrong with Casino Royale video. The
6: guy backs my point up. And then he also forgets the fact that there are weeks in the hospital afterwards. See, I can't believe that Rossi comes on the show with his opinion. He takes my opinion, and Ben still thinks that Rossi he's right. He doesn't even
4: know that what movie he's
5: four... won. He doesn't even remember The Living Daylight. Shut up. Yeah, he remembered Casino Royale
6: very well, and he defended the love story. Well, he's got Moonraker in the top five. That says enough about his opinions. <laughs> I'm excited for him to get to Moonraker.
3: Day Another Day, it's the movie that is the first bond of the millennium. It anticipated the the violence we have in the in movies today. I remember I was 12 when I first watched it, and I mean it. Isn't, it wasn't the kind of violence you co- you couldn't watch or that you have to cover your your eyes. But I the first I I thought it was like wow, this is this is a violent movie for for what Bond has always been, and well, I think there are a lot of subtleties of our day you know the the villain the the scheme of the villain is like the the trojan horse even in the novelization is quote quoted that uh, he that Gustav graves planned the the biggest uh, infiltration on the enemy camp since the days of the Trojan War so well I think that that speaks a lot about the movie I don't think it's a I mean Die Another Day. I think it had the the mistake of adding too many digital effects and CGI. That's what I didn't really like about the movie. But I don't think the the script is really that bad. There I you go, Colin. Listen, it it's happened. not
5: that bad. There, come on.
6: <laughs> I, I, well, I will. I will say that like you're you you talk about like the first half of Die Another Day and I'm like that's all yes. the strong stuff there it's just it quickly devolves as more you get closer to the end it gets more outlandish but you know the sword fight fantastic you know the
3: hovercraft that's chase right. especially yes i i think it's i mean overall it's a uh, it's a very good movie i think it's people need to rewatch it and to to think i even had a a discussion with someone that he was telling me this now this there's more violence in a playground than in this movie. And (laughs) I showed him, but look, the Bond is tortured. Uh, He's beaten up by the North Koreans. The movie is kind of raw. It's kind of violent during at least the first uh, 50 minutes uh, and the first uh, half an hour at least. And he was that. But that's what what I was trying to tell you, that people are kind of blind. They they don't want to, to admit that a lot of these huge things that you love in the in the Craig movies emanated from, from the Boston era.
5: I random ran yeah. question you you you, mentioned, uh, you talk about the music in the Millennium, uh, the Bond of Millennium, oh. and sort of you, you quickly pass over the fact that obviously Madonna's song, not the most popular of all the James Bond songs. <laughs> Just your, your your opinion, Nicholas? Are you a defender or a hater of uh, the Madonna theme?
3: It's not among my favorites. I have to <laughs> admit, but you know what? There's really not a Bond song I could say I I don't like. Maybe my least favorite out of all the the theme songs is uh, "Another Way to Die" from Quantum of Solace, But I even like the "Writings on the Wall." I think it's uh, I mean, it's not like the song you could say it's the best out of them all, but I could. I mean, I can listen to it and I enjoy it. I, Inspect I think it fits with the movie. But coming back to Madonna, it's not my fa- It's not Golden Eye or the World Is Not Enough, which are great songs. But I, I can't really say I hate it. That, that's good enough I, for I me. Have, that's good I, enough
5: for me. That like, you can't yes. say you hate it. I mean, that, it, that's a positive review for Die Another Day, if I've heard one. That's good. I like it. I,
3: I'm a defender.
5: <laughs> I'm I a mean, defender, Nicholas. I love Madonna, so like, I'm going it, to defend it.
3: If it fits, if a song fits in the in the main titles, I think it's a great song. That's because that's the function the function the song has to do with the movie. Played over the main titles, and if it works, then great. Well, just oh, yeah. just curious, you've done you know a
6: Goldeneye book and a Brosnan era book, all basically within a year. Am I right?
3: Yeah, yeah, in two. It took me two months to write both books, or more wow. or less. I mean, it takes me two months to month read to a write... book,
5: Nicholas, and you've done you've written two in two.
3: <laughs> wow, that's great. <laughs> I was like hours writing and writing and writing, but it paid off.
6: Do you know what uh, we found really interesting is that, uh, you know, we look at Timothy Dalton's filmography. I mean, he was a very serious dramatic actor for so long and he sort of reinvented himself, uh, as this comic actor. Now, you know, he had done hot fuzz and toy story and everything. And, uh, you can't trace back any laughs from Timothy Dalton uh, <laughs> prior to The beautician and the Beast. So I mean what was it like true? with him? Oh, wait, is that true? Is there no other comedy role? We couldn't that? find anything oh, where he yeah. had done a, a Col- comedy Colin,
5: and Colin lasted him as Bond, but that's for different
10: reasons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean and, and obviously and you know more about this than I do, but he was the serious-minded Bond. So, you know, he was definitely <laughs> the and um but I think that, you know, I think First of all Timothy had a blast working on the film and uh and it wasn't you know it was both a comic role but it was also a romantic role and you know and talk about an uh, oddball you know odd couple I mean and and part of the what I remember we shot the film in 1996 and what I remember was uh you know usually when you're doing any kind of romantic story for instance I directed he's just not that indie with a lot of Famous people, you don't really get a chance to find out whether these famous people will have good chemistry together. You can't say to, you know, Jennifer Aniston, well, I want you to do a, a chemistry read with Ben Affleck to see if you guys work together. You have to just take it on faith that they'll work well together. And they did, in fact. And that was absolutely the case with Timothy and Fran, who knew what. <laughs> what if any chemistry they would have together? Yeah, they come from such different universes of acting. And in fact, I remember when I uh, when we offered Timothy the role, I thought, oh, you know, I have to do some Timothy Dalton homework. And I went back to the beginning. I watched The Lion in Winter, which I believe was his first feature film. And, uh, you know, I caught, caught up with things I hadn't seen for a while, like Rocketeer, which is a fantastic film. And, uh, but I kept, I I kept thinking, well, I don't know how this like a literal Shakespearean is going to work, you know, opposite Fran Drescher, who at that time she was very popular because of her show, the nanny. But I certainly remember, as I'm sure a lot of you do, uh, seeing her for the first time in spinal tap, one of Mm -hmm. her, you know, one of her great roles. And, um, the good news is that you know it was a perfect you know case of opposites attract, or that you know the, you need the yin to have the yang. I mean, they they definitely weirdly complemented each other. And Timothy, of course, uh, a lot of the story is about how flummoxed he is by Franz, You know, this is a you know to say to use a word Fran might that friends you know various you know kind of mishigas. And um, but I like the idea that he. Um, also, in in addition to playing a comic role and a and a romantic lead in the story, he also gets to play like a, a totalitarian dictator. Yeah. So there's, a, and and again, not that the politics are, not that the you know political aspect of the film is all that heavy, but uh, in fact, it's just the opposite. It's very, you know, loopish style, you know, old world, uh, old world communist country. Um, but I, I like the fact that he, you know, he also his his character Boris Pochenko has has a bona fide emotional journey. He he goes from being a, you know, a, a real dictator to sort of you know, it's, you know, Fran really you know kind of puts a chink or two in his armor, and he starts to see the value of oh I don't know representative democracy by the <laughs> end of the
6: film. With the movie, I think my favorite uh, scene, or at least the one that made me laugh the hardest, uh, was the scene where Timothy Dalton is impersonating Fran Drescher. Now, I have to imagine, because she worked on development of this movie, that she was okay with that. I mean, she had it written in the script. You know, it, it was part of her film. Uh, did Did Timothy Dalton have fun doing that? Is it something that you had to coach him on? No, no, I want you to give him a little... <laughs> Everybody's. I guarantee everybody will probably have a Fran Drescher impression.
10: Oh, I think that, I mean, I think to be honest the only way to do a scene like that is to basically ask ask fran to step in and guest direct timothy <laughs> <laughs> oh by the way you, know, you mentioned children and animals but now i'm remembering one of my favorite scene in beautician does feature an animal
5: the chicken yes oh yeah. wow, yes well, of course fran, fran having to
10: kill that chicken <laughs> <laughs>
5: She's like turning I, her back on it basically with the machetes. <laughs> she was, she did a great job holding that butcher
10: knife and that chicken pacing back and forth in front of her.
5: i got to ask, given that uh, part of this is, of course, is airing on our uh, James Bond show, Double 7. If you're listening on the Oz Network, download Double 7. It's a great show. The hosts are fantastic. Um, You know, obviously a lot more sort of probably on the comedic side of things, Ken, but uh, you know, How would you feel if somebody knocked on the door and was like, hey, Mr. Kuapas, uh, got a James Bond script for you, Bond 26. Would you be interested in uh, switching over and giving a bit of a style change and uh, directing a Bond movie? Would that be something of interest for you?
10: Well, I mean, yes, absolutely, because I feel like a lot of these, you know, the skills that I've developed directing comedic material that totally applies to a, something like a James Bond story. And obviously uh, you guys have talked about the the Bond series much more than I ever have. But, you know, I think a lot of people distinguish between James Bond films that are f- more humorous than that. Obviously the, 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 you know, the, the Timothy Dalton films are much heavier and weightier than, you know, some of the other films. But, uh, you know, I personally think George Lazenby is hilarious as Bond. <laughs> so, <laughs>
5: That's the correct answer. That is uh, 100% yep, right. Absolutely. You win at 007 bingo. Good job, Ken. <laughs> What's your thoughts on Die Another Day? Uh, do, you, do you remember that one? <laughs> That's a funny one. <laughs> Two quick fire questions for you on different ends of the spectrum here. First of all, give us your best memory of The Beautician and the Beast, whether you're behind the scenes or anything along those lines. And secondly, Beautician and the Beast 2. Can it happen? <laughs>
6: Oh, hey, yeah, would, we joked. We be, said it could be a thing. <laughs>
5: oh, I
10: would be first in line. I would be first in line to see that film if I didn't direct it. <laughs>
4: so,
10: <laughs> you know, here, this is a very, um, this may be an unexpected answer to your first question. The, the score for The Beautician and the Beast was composed by a wonderful uh, musician, a wonderful composer named Cliff Eidelman, who I've worked with on several occasions. And we recorded the score in London. Uh, not with the London Symphony Orchestra, but with, a, with a, uh, an equally good, you know, very strong orchestra in London. And one of my favorite memories was actually arriving, uh, at, the re- re- arriving at the recording studio in London, where like you know, 60, 70 piece orchestra s- started playing this incredibly you know, lush music to accompany Timothy Dalton and Fran Drescher waltzing at the climactic ball scene. And I just was so swept away watching the image, but 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 here like literally sitting in a room with you know like some of the you know top musicians in London, and um, I will never forget that. And but but I want to add one quick thing though.
4: Please
5: do. So
10: there's uh, one other memory from that recording session was that we needed to record the Communist International, which is sung during a sequence when uh, Timothy Dalton gives Fran a tour of a factory mm-hmm. and you hear on the soundtrack the communist mm-hmm. international well uh our production manager rounded up as many russian nationals uh, that he could find in london and we've herded them all into this studio and and tried to record the communist international and they were terrible there was like like <laughs> you know they're like they're, it was the sorriest group of people singing you've ever heard and finally well, i didn't know what to do and we had to get a recording of it uh, somebody said, well, the, what we need to do is bring in some vodka. <laughs> and so literally we, we sent PAs out to like bring in bottles and bottles and bottles and bottles <laughs> of vodka with all these glasses. And we basically plied these, you know, these poor people with, you know, well, they weren't they weren't complaining, obviously, but we got <laughs> washed and we all you know i just remember the, you know the guy on the talk back mic in this in the recording booth saying whatever you do do not throw your glasses against the wall <laughs> and finally after you know after they had consumed a healthy amount of vodka we got a really really spirited take
5: Wow. <laughs> I can imagine. No, no no Russian stereotypes living up to there at all. Like <laughs> get a vodka, that'll work fine. Um wow that so that is a, a that is a very important memory. That's Colin, you and I should try that for now and when we're recording. <laughs> like we're putting shit episodes out, get some vodka into us, we'll we'll probably be fine. <laughs> I bet you never thought in a million years when you, when you started this page that you would want somebody, well, that you would have somebody interviewing you about meme another day. I
11: can't, I can't say that I ever imagined that. No, <laughs> I, uh, I, I started the account one morning, very bored, maybe a little hungover from one too many martinis after watching die another day the night before kind of pretty pissed drunk watching it to be honest, but we had a blast watching it. And the next morning I was just, I was so bored. And I was just, I think I saw that image of Halle Berry uh, tied to the thing and and Pierce Brosnan giving her that look. And I was like, I don't know why, but there's, there's mean potential here. There's an un carved market for this, so <laughs> I just had spent an afternoon making some of the dumbest memes that were making me laugh, so I'm glad people are enjoying them.
6: <laughs> you know, all jokes aside about my opinion and our other co-host Noah's opinions on Die of the Day, um, it was actually me who discovered this account, uh, and it legitimately did make me laugh, even though, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily hold Die Another Day to the esteem that Ben does, uh, and I did. Keep it from for a while. I'm like, oh no! If I, if I share this with Ben, it's going to be all over. You know, he's going to be reposting these. We're going to end up with an interview and all that. But uh, <laughs> it, it does st- it, it works in two ways. It works in a way that'll make you laugh if you love Diana the day. And it'll kind of make you laugh if you don't love Diana the day. But what we're really curious about is where do you actually fall? Because we have this debate on the show: is Max a guy who legitimately loves Diana the day, or is this kind of an ironic uh, joke account that he created?
11: Yeah, and so I guess that's maybe my hesitation for my uh, identity reveal, is I am a fan.
4: Yes, <laughs> yes.
5: Max, welcome. You're our new favorite. Please, come on every single week. <laughs>
11: it's, um, yeah, I'm not gonna pretend it's uh, the best James Bond movie or anything like that, but uh, yeah, it, it, I was 10 or 11 years old when that movie came out, and I saw it, in, I think it was my first James Bond movie in the theater. And at the time I had seen quite a few already. My uh, my uncle had showed me a lot of the older ones and, and I really liked GoldenEye. And so Die Another Day was just like, a, I mean, for a 10 year old kid, I couldn't think of a better movie. I, it was a blast. I remember having to pee really bad during the, <laughs> like, the fencing scene you know and i was just i was so excited to get back i had to go to the bathroom but i was like i gotta get back to this they sword fighting well, it's Indeed. a big scene madonna's in it come on <laughs> oh, exactly uh never mind that i don't even think i knew who madonna was at the time i don't yeah i don't, I don't think i knew exactly what i was watching uh i do not think i realized i was watching what would be the most hated Bond movie ever probably, but um, yeah, I just, I had a blast at the time when it came out on DVD, I watched it over and over and over like, yeah. And then spent several years not watching it thinking I shouldn't revisit it, best luck back there probably. Um, yeah, but but when the pandemic started, uh, my girlfriend and I, we lived we lived together, we um, needed something to do. And so I watch a lot of movies. Um, you know, I have a nice projector home theater set up. And uh, I was like, let's, you want to watch every James Bond movie? And fortunately she said yes. <laughs> and so we started, we started a little uh, tradition every Monday, AKA Bond days, we uh, would watch the next James Bond movie in chronological order. Right. And I could, I honestly, by the time we got to like, Goldfinger, I was like, oh I can't wait for die another day I don't know why but I can't wait to watch it we make we make the martinis every Monday with it and uh, and uh, yeah it was just maybe maybe it's just because we were a little drunk but it was oh boy
6: <laughs> <laughs> that's the best left. way to enjoy it now right <laughs> yeah.
2: had a good time
5: It's interesting that Colin says um, he's reading the book and that, he mentions that uh, Nicholas Susick talks about it being a product of its time. Now, Max, I've constantly Mm. defended this film as being a product of its time, particularly the song. I've always said that Madonna's Die Another Day was a product of its time, to which I've constantly (laughs) been berated on this show about saying it's a product of its time. Um, (laughs) So I I like that um, may maybe slowly getting on the train. I I, I don't know. What's your viewpoint on the song? Max on, on Madonna's yeah. Die Another Day.
11: I've I've come around to it. Um, I didn't like it at the time. I don't think. I I think I just thought it was weird and uh, <laughs> definitely definitely different for a Bond song. It was it was it was uh, not really in line with the previous ones. Right. It's more dancey and uh, electronic. A product of its time. <laughs> and, and yeah, and I have to agree. I think probably a, a product of its time. Um, and and knowing Madonna and and her weird uh, choices and and trying to push boundaries, whether or not that's always successful, you know, she she certainly tried, I think.
4: And. Uh, <laughs> She I mean, certainly tried.
5: Like, that's what she wanted. She, it's, <laughs> that's yeah. on a tombstone when she dies. Madonna. She certainly, <laughs> certainly tried.
4: <laughs>
5: <laughs> but um, you know, it's. I mean, it's stuck
11: in my head all the time now. To be honest, ever since I recently rewatched it, so I think that's a, a testament to its uh, ear earwormness or whatever you want to call it. It's
5: it's catchy. You know, particularly when you there hear it is. right now.
6: Right there we go. Sorry, <laughs> you should say sorry.
4: <laughs>
2: I'm usually uh, uh, used as a Russian villain, mm-hmm. and right now I'm in Prague. I'm I'm um, here uh, in one fabulous French uh, uh, project playing the Russian villain. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the same fun. So I'm. They're not giving me any love scenes, uh, no kissing, <laughs> no, uh, no dancing. But if you need to be killed, properly killed or raped, uh, brutally, or uh, they, they're calling me. I'm... And uh, yeah, and they're paying me a good money.
6: Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. take hollywood's money while well, you I, can
2: I, yeah and i'm 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 really an expert in that Yeah. <laughs> so. now what was the process
6: <laughs> like of landing this role like uh did you have to audition for it did they sort of come to you uh,
2: no that was the self tape uh story uh and it was back in uh 2002 and no one in russia never knew that there's a uh, thing like that the uh, auditioning by uh, making a self-tape. Now, uh, of course, it's a usual thing and everybody do that. Uh, uh, this uh, um, And uh, a lot of roles I got, uh, uh, internationally big ones, uh, by the self-tape. But that was the, the first one. So uh, the self-tape is when you uh, get the lines, the, the role, the small part, and then you uh, um, you go through it and you make the uh, your version your view uh, and send it uh, via mail or whatever. I I think by that time there was no email, mm. so you have to actually DHL it to <laughs> England. The the, the the actual tape uh, to England and one day. Uh, I got the phone call uh, in the perfect English saying, Oh, is this Michael Gorvoy? I said, Yes. And said, Oh, uh, uh, I would like to inform you that you got the the role in James Bond. And I immediately jumped. I was sitting and I jumped like a rocket. And I was like, Well, oh, uh, yeah, oh, oh, oh God, what should I do now? I mean, uh, all right, we'll let you know. Jesus. And, you know by that time I did I had no idea what what is the um, manager or um, agent means because uh, back in Russia by that time we didn't have that uh, institute of agents and managers so uh, that was the the special story how I got in with that manager that's yeah but that experience I will never
6: ever forget. Die Another Day, I mean, they really went all out with like the massive cast and all that. I mean, Halle Berry and uh, Toby Stevens, Rosamund Pike. And I I think because of your position as a henchman and being involved in so much of the biggest scenes in the movie, you actually got to be involved. A lot of times we talk to actors they're like, oh, you know, you know, I had a scene with you know, the James Bond. I had a scene with the villain here and there. I mean, you kind of were able to be on set with pretty much everybody. Rosamund Pike, Halle Berry, Pierce Brosnan. I mean, what were your experiences like working with a cast that size? Oh,
2: uh, you know, uh, Pierce Brosnan, a fabulous British actor. And I was impressed of uh, himself because he was he could be like a, a king of the jungle. He would act like a big time uh, nebus, I mean, but he's such a fabulous person. And our uh, uh, rooms, I mean, um, where we are waiting for um, uh, at the leisure time, were close. I mean, to, like uh, next to each other. And he, uh, at that pauses, he's he's uh, making the pictures, aquarelles. And we spent a lot of time talking. He was very interested uh, in Russian uh, uh, theater, in Russian uh, acting school, in Stanislavski as well. And he's such an easygoing uh, laughing, uh, such a fabulous person. I was so impressed. And there were no people uh, uh, playing uh, big time boss or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, and Holly uh, Berry. Uh, that was the year and the time when when she got the Oscar. Mm-hmm. Actually, she uh, she was filming uh, in uh, James Bond, and she went uh, to the United. She flew to the United States, got the Oscar, and came back. <laughs> so we watched her uh, getting that Oscar. And uh, you, if you remember, she was so natural. She cried mm-hmm. getting an Oscar. She she was so uh, this um, that was so impressive, so touching. no um, uh, well, and, uh, you you maybe maybe you you don't know. I know that you guys are the fans club of James Bond, and I am the one with you. would you please uh, uh, sign me for uh, for your club? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, Free please. membership. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, please. Uh, and uh, we went, the whole uh, crew went to the premiere, to the uh, London theater, the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. There, there was a musical made, the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> Wonderful. S- sensational. There were kids in, in that musical. Real kids. And we, uh, uh, the whole... Uh, crew, uh, Pierce Brosnan and uh, uh, Halle Berry and uh, production, they we all went to that premiere. That was that was quiet and I will never forget it. Uh, when I came back uh, uh, from London, I became the hero. Uh, the hero, yes, uh, of there. day. The hero of here, year, maybe. Like I told you, that was my jumping platform, like a rocket. I flew to the sky mm-hmm. of my career. It was uh, uh, because I, I, I was in, in each and every magazine, big time, uh, tabloid, uh, um, you name it, L J Q. I I mean, mm-hmm. everything. Every, I was everywhere with my pictures. Like I said, I was younger <laughs> and <I> was- <laughs> Big flowing uh, hair. And, right? and, and, yeah. And you know, uh, even um, in uh, uh, in Britain, in Britain, uh, James Bond movie is one of the biggest uh, uh, the tradition or whatever values that they have. They have football, they have uh, Beatles, they have uh, uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, and they have James Bond.
6: Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah,
2: and when yes and uh, if you wonder i can tell you a story how i first flew in uh, uh london with james bond. Uh, i i was equipped with all the documents when i was uh um uh when i first i flew to london i was told that michael you are uh, there on the border you just have to say that you are in james bond uh production and uh, all the documents will be faxed. Uh, you just tell uh, the officer, uh, go and check for, uh, uh, for uh, production of uh, James Bond. Mm-hmm. That what I did. I appeared to the uh, um, uh, custom to, to the uh, officer, and I said, well, you should have had some documents of me. And he said, are you with James Bond movie? <laughs> I said, yes, I am. You are an actor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to play a villain. All right. Uh, okay. Give me. You have to sign. I, I'll give you. Uh, I said. Well, I, I didn't play uh, any. I mean, I'm just coming. I uh, I'm playing a villain. He said. Well, if you won't sign me, I will. <laughs> I won't let you in. But you're a James Bond guy. You're a James Bond boy. It's a. It's a really really. It's a big. Big. Uh, it's valued. Uh, this movie is valued uh, highly uh, in the uh, um, in uh, in Britain. Uh, I, I mean, here in the world, uh, but uh, in uh, uh, England, especially. Uh, and th- 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 there was uh, there was another thing uh, at the premiere. At the premiere. At the royal. That was a royal premiere. And the city was blocked. It was stopped. The traffic was jammed because the city uh, was was uh, blocked and people were traveling uh, to that Royal Nepalese movie theater. They were like uh, in uh, tuxedos. They were walking uh, by foot. Uh, a lot of people, traffic jam. lots of policemen. And we were driving because I am i was, uh, they invited me. I took my son, 12 years old son. Uh, I wore a tuxedo with a bow tie. And that small guy, <laughs> my, my son, now, now he has a big time with a beard. Uh, but by that time, yeah, by that time, I, he was like a, uh, like a, a little bit uh, higher than the table.
4: mm mm-hmm.
2: uh, I I also I rent him a tuxedo that was for me for the Russian actor that was sort of uh, I mean the one I wasn't like an Alice in the Wonderland yeah along with myself
6: yeah I can imagine (laughs) do have to ask because it's got to always be the most fun especially if you're in james bond villain to play the villain i mean you've had as you said you've had tons of experience playing villains (laughs) you've made a career out of it uh but uh the death scene has to be something that you really look forward to especially because there's nothing better than playing a villain to have a villain who has a really great death scene i mean your character just gets ripped out of the biggest plane that we've ever seen you know with the sky falling apart around him and you know it's funny i hadn't even really realized until i thought about it recently that that was kind of one of those many nods they had in the movie to a classic james bond movie i mean you got to die the death of goldfinger who is like the ultimate iconic james bond villain it's essentially the same death uh can you tell us anything about like the the destruction of the, the plane and all that filming that and also getting to film the death scene like did they actually rip you off the set or was any of that cgi
2: I'm playing the villains. No love scenes. No kissing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, as you know, villains has to be punished. They have, to, uh, they have to be killed because uh, because we are humans and we are all for love and peace. And I mean, and this, and I'm dying maybe uh, um, like uh, twenty times a year. <laughs> okay different, yeah, I, you name it, I was shot, I was killed with a knife, you name it, but, but that particular death in James Bond was the most humiliating uh, death <laughs> I ever experienced. I was sucked out of the plane with my ass, at, um, <laughs> like, a, like, a, you know, when you open the champagne, yeah. was sort of like that. <laughs> Actually, James Bond, Pierce Brosnan, he, he missed, he, 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 he tried to kill me, but he missed, he missed. He didn't, uh, could you imagine? James Bond missed,
4: Yeah. but
2: he still, he broke the, um, uh, that fucking uh, window <laughs> and I was fucked. Uh, of course, uh, uh, there, there was a play, uh, the plane that um, the structure of the plane was built uh, in the studio, uh, and uh, it's like well, it was like mm, maybe three meters uh, high. Uh, you have to go up, uh, and uh, um, how they did it? Uh, they, mm, I played the actual moment when I uh, when uh, Pierce uh, uh, he shoot. Uh, I uh, I made uh, the intention. I mean the move uh and the actual sucking the actual sucking out of the plane the actual um uh, uh, uh trick mm-hmm. was made uh by a stunt they uh, put uh, they put the special structure on his body uh with the hook uh in the back and uh, it was like definitely he was sucked out of the plane mm-hmm. with the uh uh, and of, of course everything went through uh, carefully and safely uh but very impressive mm-hmm. that was uh, no that, they they uh, they will not let me do this
6: <laughs> yeah. they are like we and want I, you to have I, a career I, after this
2: <laughs> yeah yeah and i i i i, I will not uh, do this myself uh, because uh uh we have to uh mm, care about ourselves because uh, if you say if you break a leg or whatever you uh, you can uh, stop the production yeah. for, for for weeks mm-hmm. yeah and uh, that was uh, that was how uh, I got this man um, this role yeah. <laughs> that, uh, yeah that that was how I got this role because uh, because uh, there was a, a guy who was cast the uh, the very a uh, big Russian uh, actor um, he was casted but uh, um, there was a pause because of uh, um, someone who uh, uh, i mean or it's 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 too long it's a long story and it's not, I mean but thanks God I got this role uh, I'm thanking uh, mm, mm, the universe for this experience mm-hmm. uh, I Thank Lita Mahori and uh, the uh, production and Barbara Broccoli. Thank you very much, guys. I'll never, ever forget this experience. And I uh, always uh, telling my students, now I'm a teacher. I mm. uh, have my students and uh, still they are all of uh, them are very, inter- we still have fans, uh, big time uh, fans of James Bond. James Bond is James Bond. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to go forever, a, right? Yeah, the, yes, it, it, yes, forever.
6: You also mentioned, you know, you worked with Gary Oldman as well. And it's funny because I, I what didn't even realize in, in preparation for this interview, I just happened to you know be on vacation and I'm like, I'm going to watch the Hitman's Bodyguard because I've never seen it. And all of a sudden oh. you pop up in the yeah, Hitman's you- Bodyguard which I, I mean it's I interesting because y- you're you're filming with Gary Oldman I mean I guess almost all scenes but you have all the courtroom scenes in that movie too uh, and you know obviously you did Hunter Killer Gary Oldman was in that as well I don't know if you necessarily interacted with him in that but uh, tell us a little bit about The Hitman's Bodyguard
2: The Hitman's Bodyguard if you haven't seen uh, that movie you should because it's a real that's a real fun it's cool oh, where yeah with humor with nice uh, uh acting with uh, uh all kinds of uh, mm, uh, um,
6: craziness i, I, I won't
2: <laughs> yes uh, uh that was fun and uh, from one hand and it was a real experience uh, um, <laughs> uh, and you know uh, gary oldman uh is playing the uh bella russian president mm-hmm. the very Vicious, cruel Dictator
4: Yeah
2: Dictator And And uh, He had to um, He has some lines That there's a scene In the courtroom When he speaks Russian And uh, Did you get to coach uh, him? Well I was uh, Asked I- Is it possible That Gary Oldman Will come to your hotel To have a breakfast with you And to have a uh, Rehearsal <laughs> I said What? Say it again <laughs> So come on Gary Oldman come to me. yes, yes, God, yes. oh God, yes, yes. Uh, by that time I was not introduced. it was like uh, when I just arrived uh, um, to uh, London to uh, make that movie. And next day, Gary Oldman comes. We have breakfast here and we uh, we met and started rehearsing and he's actually he's uh, he's trying and trying and trying. And I was like thinking, well, Gary, yeah, now you know what what is what, what is that? How, it's not that easy to uh, act in, uh, in, in in the language that I, you're not used to speak. Uh, and but he was doing very good, and, and he rehearsed hardly hardly. And the times come. Uh, which, uh, we do the scene that you can uh, find it uh, when he jumped uh, from his play and go uh, with uh, some Russian uh, monologue. Uh, and uh, uh, and action, Gary Olu jumps and starts speaking Russian and he can't and he stops because and once again and stops and again and stops. He cannot do that. And then and he's and then he start to, uh, uh, he, he, and he gets angry. He said, well, I'm not, I'm a bad actor. I cannot <laughs> wow. do that fucking rushing lines. I can put it on the camera. And he's, 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 he's getting uh, his anger uh, to, on himself. And at, at the same time, he gets put on the camera, president, I'm a bad, I'm, I'm a bad, I'm so bad, I'm fucking bad, I'm very bad. And then he jumped with the Russian monologue, la, 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 Russian, 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 <laughs> Russian, 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 Russian. And, uh, and he made it. And I saw this with my own eyes, with my own eyes. That that how the genius works. Yeah. So I <laughs> and then, oh. That was, wow, that's that, that alone was, that is crazier
6: was, than anything you'll see in the Hitman's bodyguard.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know if uh, anyone told the, uh, the story, but that was a fact. That was how wow. how uh, Gary Oldman uh, uh, overcame that uh, uh, that Russian monologue. Yeah, wow. And she, uh, yeah. he 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 made it perfectly. Mm-hmm. That was the way. And then, um, being honest. With you, I, uh, I now I'm using this method. Yeah, <laughs> it's very almonds. Yeah, you you say you swear yourself to to death. <laughs> you swear yourself to death, and then you uh, jump like 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 a rocket to that. Wow, you, you can do that.
6: Before we let you go, mm-hmm. I do have a question. We always ask every uh, every guest we have on the show. Uh, do you have a favorite James Bond of all time? Actor movie any? Pierce. Oh, I'm Ruffin. so glad to hear you say that.
2: Pierce. I'm 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 not the one. You I uh definitely, of course. And the movie. <laughs> it's, <thing>. it's always <laughs> you know we always <laughs> we always tell
6: people it's like feel free to answer your own thing and you're the one who's been bold yeah. enough to do that which we really appreciate.
2: <laughs> right, right, and the and the best song is of the Day by Madonna, who who I also met on stage, uh, on, on set. Oh, right, there. oh yeah, because she was and, in the movie, yeah. And, she, yeah. and yes, yes, and we, we like I told you, I got my son uh, to that premiere, and uh, mm, he was uh, looking at Madonna and Halle Berry and he was like impressed, and he said, well, I didn't uh, know that uh, Madonna is not that, uh, is not that tall. Uh, I mean, I said, yeah, but but she's a big, she's so yeah. big as an art, uh, 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 actress, uh, as a uh, um, artist, as a musician, as a uh, composer. He said, yes, yes, I, I love her. <laughs> and he went to Very to talk to her. Uh, to talk to her. <laughs> That was Leah, he was 12, 12 years old.
6: Lucky 12 year old on set, right?
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yes, and there was uh, uh, on that premiere uh, like fake diamonds were mm-hmm. everywhere. The small, you know, that yeah. small glass uh, uh, fake diamonds. And then when uh, we came back to the hotel, uh, he was uh, his pockets were were full of the, those oh. diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> Little souvenir <laughs> to take home. <laughs> got, yeah, yeah, they were like uh, lay like uh, like a like a snow, but diamonds, diamonds, yeah. diamonds wow so he had uh, we, we still have some uh, uh, some of those small pieces <laughs> of uh, uh, plastic, uh never diamonds. let go of
6: them <laughs> yeah
2: uh, yeah yeah and uh, but that, those emotions probably will lose those uh, diamonds but emotions and uh, uh experience i will never ever uh, mm-hmm. forget before
6: we let you go there is a request i have from you and feel free to say no but it would make my day if you could do it one of my favorite lines the line that still makes me laugh every single time i watch die another day is uh where pierce is racing the rocket car or whatever and you turn to toby stevens you're like hey boss he beat your time could you give us like one line reading of the hey boss he beat your timeline
2: hey boss he beat your time
6: (laughs) <laughs> that line, it still cracks me up every single time because there's so right. much sincerity. And it's like, you're looking at him like, oh, you know what? He's going to love this too. It's like, no, he's not impressed. <laughs> yes,
2: right, right. 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 That was right. Yeah, everybody was uh, laughing on it. And, <laughs> and can you imagine what this, when you're sitting in that royal premiere, and that was the first time I, I saw it actually, and the whole, like, 5,000 people. Are laughing wow. at your line. I mean, I <laughs> uh, I was a I was a king of the universe. I mean, oh, ah, yeah, I can yeah one, <laughs> and you got one very heavy Russian.
3: The Diana R day, I think it was a, a decision taken by two thousand and four, two thousand and five. Like when they were noticing that uh, most movies were. We're going into a, a darker territory than which was reflected in the other day, but uh, I mean, more in the style of the moon movies or the, I mean, the, the this, this serious uh, spy dramas. Well, now well that I mentioned Alias before, but you know, well, I think in the third or the fourth season of Alias, which was uh, 2005 or 2006. We have an invinc an invisible car, a mm-hmm. mini car. It was actually, and also, uh, you know, the DNA DNA transplant. Uh, we have it with with one of the char characters that uh, <laughs> tried to <laughs> that converts her- herself into into Sydney Bristow. Mm-hmm. So I mean, both elements that were so much criticized in, in the inner day were in alias and yeah nobody is stretching Al- alias now yeah
6: so no and that's, that's one of the thing it's funny because i'm rewatching alias right now and i was uh, even yeah. in season two they had an episode where somebody took over another person's identity completely i'm like you know what if, if bond did this it wouldn't fly but you know it's okay
3: if alias does <laughs> uh, well in mission impossible in the oh yeah the last chapter of the first session the first season with uh, you know with simon hill mm-hmm. you have barney he invents some kind of a, of a square of a with which gives him invisibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody said back then that the, the series is a disaster, that we have to change everything. I mean, and besides, the the invisible cloak isn't something uh, really far-fetched. I mean, people were working on it, of, on it. And of course, they in the movie, they made it with CGI, but... Uh, They were based. They were based on something that actually has has a a precedent. Yeah, exactly. In in reality, like all Bond gadgets, I mean, I I doubt very much that the Aston Martin DB5 in 1964 would, if a real life Aston Martin DB5 would have a homer, it would have to have about a CPU of the size of a fridge in the, in the in the roof. I mean.
6: Yeah, we, well, we just need to get to that point where you know technology catches up to die another day, and then it's not going to be as silly anymore, right?
3: <laughs> yeah. Many movies that I think have been just like, I mean, like in the case of Dying or they that were unfairly malign. No, many didn't like Green Lantern, and and yeah. I agree that the the screen the script is very weak. But I love the the aesthetics and the look of. Lantern. I think that it has some beautiful shots and I say wow for a for a superhero movie this is really well shot and it's looks it looks very exotic for what one would expect of a DC movie mm-hmm. yeah I can
6: tell people just for beyond the ice having read it uh you don't have to be a Diamond of the Day fan to enjoy this if you're a Diamond of the Day fan you're going to be like you know cheering and like yes somebody finally gets it if you're not a diamond of the day fan you're gonna <laughs> read it and you're gonna be like you know what that's a really good point and uh, you, as, <laughs> I, as I've said multiple times some of the things you say don't work in the movie you just sort of give the explanation as to maybe this is why it didn't work and it's things you wouldn't necessarily think about our
5: next guest Was working in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens When her boyfriend kicked her out in one of those crushing scenes What was she to do? Where was she to go? She was out on her fanny So over the internet from the States to to podcast door She was there to promote an event and talk some more She has style, she has flair, and she's here Please welcome Fran Drescher Fran, welcome to the show today
12: Thank you, I'm so happy to be here How is everyone? (laughs) Anne Hampton Calloway and her sister Liz, who are our mascots, and they are going to sing in a humorous way um, the nanny theme song.
5: I was going to ask, are you singing? Are you going (laughs) to sing, friend? Can you sing the nanny theme song on the day? Like, is that going to happen?
12: No, I think that having Ann do it is probably harder <laughs> than having me do it, although there might be something out there in the ether, if you look it up, where you may see me doing
4: it. Oh.
6: But
12: I don't make a habit of it. <laughs>
6: it's so funny i heard ben kind of chuckle you know when you said the degrees of separation because when we were off air we were sort of talking about you know you're within two or three degrees of almost every james bond actor who's ever played James <laughs> Bond. And one of the movies we covered a couple months ago, Beautician and the Beast, we covered that because, you know, uh, our Bond podcast, you know, Timothy Dalton in it, which I think one of the most surprising things about that movie is that you got Timothy Dalton to do it. I mean, was that sort of one of your first experiences of, you know, I'm just <laughs> gonna reach out, I'm gonna call in a favor. We can get Bond to do, you know, Beautician and the Beast. It's not hard for Timothy Dalton to do comedy. Um, well,
12: I'll tell you how that one came about. And I was over the moon that uh, he was interested in doing it. Um, but uh, that was a Paramount Studios picture. And at the time, Sherry Lansing was the president of, of Paramount. And Sherry and, uh, a- and Timothy had a history together. They had a very special relationship. And she thought of him and wow. reached out to him. And that's how he got him but oh, wow. I thought he was fantastic. And uh, I really enjoyed working with him. And the funny thing is even, you know, on The Nanny, we always refer to Mr. Sheffield as, you know, you look like Pierce Brosnan, you, more, you know, <laughs> or uh, 007 or James Bond, you know, it's always those connections Fran makes because um, my character is so plugged into pop culture that, uh, you know, she uh, connects Mr. Sheffield with those great leading men and characters.
5: it's unique you say that because I first of all think like we're obviously cross-platforming this in two of our shows and we're probably the first ever James Bond podcast to ever interview Fran Drescher for for reasons being but not only did we cover <laughs> Beautician and the Beast we many years ago when we were doing a Pierce Brosnan film the world is not enough we're talking about 90s actors that could have been Bond girls and your name came up I think we spent half the episode talking about could Fran Drescher have been a Bond girl so technically you kind of of were a bond girl if mr sheffield was bond so we could maybe tick that off you know the
12: only thing that probably would have prevented me from being a bond girl at back in the day is my voice
3: (laughs) (laughs) we think it would have worked Uh, fantastically
12: a comedy (laughs) or something and my ex-husband um drives an aston martin
5: Oh right, well see, here we go, Colin. We technically do have a Bond girl. There you go, That's Fran Drescher, We technically have confirmed today is pretty much a Bond girl.
6: I feel so vindicated now. Years
5: later, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting with beauticians. Yeah, well, the Beast, it, it would
12: be funny to do a funny, uh, you know, like a comedy version of Bond, of James Bond that has a, one of the older. You know, uh, Bond actors maybe like Timothy, and <laughs> then I could be an older Bond girl. <laughs>
5: mm-hmm. We'd and watch it. And he
12: wanted to get back into the business, and uh, <laughs> I decide uh, to help him.
5: <laughs> what one of the, the scenes we particularly loved in *Beauty and the Beast* is uh, the the massage scene when you, when you are massaging. Timothy's character, of course, and he basically doesn't realize it's you, and he's going on this sort of rant about your character, and he does the impression of your voice, Fran, which of course we know many people have done over the years. Was that something in the script? Did Timothy just get a little bit involved in that and think, "Oh, I'm going to have a bit of fun with this"? And you're obviously on the set there. I mean, what was your take on Timothy Dalton's impression of the famous Fran Drescher voice?
12: You know, I'm always enchanted by it, quite honestly. I mean, as long as people um, are drawn into it rather than repelled by it, the spell is not broken. (laughs) And you know what else, fellas? I just forgot to mention uh, one other thing. I've been to the property in Jamaica where James Bond was written.
5: Oh, Goldeneye Ranch! Wow. Yeah. Okay. And,
12: and now it's been kind of converted into a very, uh, a a like, you kind know, rustic, elegant hotel with bungalows and the main house. And uh, I have a lot of friends that have stayed there, and uh, and I and I've been there as well.
5: Well, I'm telling you, but bugger being a Bond girl, you can be James Bond. We're in 2021 (laughs) now. They're talking about, you know, changing it up a little bit. So, but before we let you go, can you give us the names Bond, James Bond, just as an audition today?
12: Oh, can I, what I, can I say that? Oh, okay. Like as if it's me? Yeah. Mm. Bond. James Bond.
5: Boom. There There you go. go. Perfect. That's already better than Daniel
6: Craig, right? (laughs) Exactly.
5: Your next James Bond. Ladies and gentlemen, Fran Drescher, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a massive pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. Be
12: well, gentlemen. Nice to see you. We see
6: a lot more of this crossover now of people from other forms of media. Okay, I'm going to get into movies or movie stars want to get into music. Athletes want to get into music. I mean, all of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, back in the early 80s, there wasn't so much uh, of that going on. Uh, was acting something that you were seeking out like, I'd like to get into acting? Or did the offer just sort of come to you?
1: Well, this is an interesting story because at the end of the day, you know, everyone grows up watching a Bond picture. The first ever movie so-called adult movie that I went to see was, uh, was a um, Goldfinger. So I think when you, when you look back at that and say, okay, uh, the Broccoli's uh, Cubby and his daughter were actually watching me play at Wimbledon. Wow. And uh, you know, after my match, they, uh, he sent Barbara down to ask if I would have tea with them. I did. ended up meeting Cubby and, and then for the first time, and he was the nicest man in the world and uh, said, listen, we've, we've t- we've tested uh, hundreds of actors for this particular role and we're shooting part of the movie in india and in pinewood uh, with uh, an indian actor we don't have the right person yet would you consider doing a screen test and and i said just for a laugh you know let me do it who can say they worked at pinewood in the morning and played wimbledon in the afternoon so <laughs> i, I kind of did it as a laugh and then I think was two, three days later, they came back and said, "Uh, listen, we'd like to sign you for 14 weeks for this particular role. I said, well, I can't do 14 weeks. I'm on the tour all year. And uh, they said, "Uh, well, if you can, uh, we can, we can maneuver the schedule to fit you in. And so I did two weeks in the picture, three weeks to go play tennis, come back and do two weeks on the movie and back and forth. So they've never done that with actors because of insurance and so on, but they allowed me to do that. And uh, it was, it was an incredible experience.
5: Which, I mean, as you just mentioned, who can say that they've been to Pinewood Studios in the morning and Wimbledon uh, in the afternoon? I mean, I, I can't imagine that there you are playing in the greatest tennis tournament in the world, you know, focused on your match, focused on, on wanting to play well, never imagining that the producers of James Bond are in the crowd and are going to approach you after. I mean, that's, that's the stuff of dreams. I mean, I'm hoping that I've got, you know, Michael Wilson or, you know, that watching right now, our, our podcast, and maybe I'm going to get offered a role in Bond 26 and they decide to finally film a Bond film in Australia. I, I, I'm thinking this is a possibility that that's an incredible story. Well,
1: even when I got on the set, eventually when I did get the role after the, because I did the screen test on a laugh, you know, I just went in and did it. They said, have you ever worked with a snake before? I, I said, I said, I don't think so. I did play McEnroe a few times, but that's different. Uh, <laughs> but I think they, they, uh, you know, they wanted to know how long it would take me to get used to the snake. And I said, you have to be joking. I, I You know, just let me do it on the day because I'm going to have to rely on my adrenaline of playing at Wimbledon to be able to take me through the snake roll, <laughs> So I did do it. They brought in James Brolin, the American actor, to come and do the screen test with me from the U.S. So he flew in from the U.S. to Pinewood to actually do the scene that John Glenn directed the uh, the screen test at Pinewood. And uh, they, I just did it on a laugh. And and, and then Cubby said to me, listen, before my start of uh, doing the picture, when Barbara walked me into Pinewood for the first time, he said... Uh, Listen, don't go to any acting classes. Just do your thing and be original. You are so uh, charming on screen. Just leave that to take its course. And that's exactly what I ended up doing.
6: I was curious about that because uh, you know the story is very well known now that Roger Moore had, I guess, walked away from the role and that they had screen tested all these actors. Uh, you know, James Brolin was one. Sam Neill was another. So when you came on, it wasn't uh, a set thing yet that Roger's coming back. You could have been in Correct. this with James Brolin. Wow.
1: Correct. And correct. when did you they, find they out that it that was Roger was going to accept? They always wanted him. I think they were kind of trying to put a little bit more heat on Roger to accept it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if you if you remember, that same year is when um, the competing uh, people had released Never Say Never Again in the same year. Yeah. So it was one of those. It was a big battle of the bonds, if you wanted to call it at the mm-hmm. time. But uh, you couldn't get away from the fact that uh, Roger was going to win out in that battle
5: yeah for sure what was that moment like then when sort of everything had gone through roger stayed on board and, and you got that opportunity to meet roger because as you said you're, you're a fan of of the bond films i can imagine your first ever movie role here you are in the <laughs> bond franchise and here you are standing in front of roger moore james bond himself do you remember that first moment you got to meet roger
1: well i knew i was going to be nervous uh, because uh, everyone's going to think oh here's another athlete who wants to be an actor and they, you know, they put him in this role for this particular purpose. And uh, so Barbara came with me, uh, took me in the first day and they walked into Pinewood and I saw my name on the dressing room door. I, I saw my name on the chair. I was, uh, you know, I I said to Barbara, I said, listen, don't, please don't wake me up. Let me, let me keep sleeping because uh, (laughs) I don't want to get out of this one. And uh, they were already in the middle of uh, shooting a, a major scene. And, uh, he had shouted action, and we were standing way in the back of the stage at Pinewood. And uh, Roger, everyone was was a big, big scene, and Roger was obviously the thrust of it. And so, and, he, and and Glenn said action, and then the movie, the camera started rolling, and they started doing the scene. And the next thing, Roger saw me way across the stage. And instead of being in the scene, he just walked straight up to me. And no one could understand because it completely walked off set. (laughs) And it took took a few minutes before they could say cut. And he walked straight up to me and he said, "Uh, uh, my name is Roger Moore. I'm delighted that you accepted to join our production. I'm sure you'll have a great time and we're delighted you're on board with us. He just put me at ease so, so quickly that uh, that just, that just turned the tables for me right away. My, my nervousness went away and, He and I got along like a house on
6: fire. I mean, Roger Moore, his reputation is uh, his humor in the Bond movies. I mean, that's what he's known for above all the other Bond actors. I'm sure on screen it just comes so naturally to him. But I mean, is he pretty much the same way off screen? Does he always have these one liners flowing and always joking around?
1: Well, first of all, you know, keep in mind that he was he was trying to follow someone who had uh, made the character. And uh, someone who had done six pictures before him, and uh, it had to do with the sex appeal and with his uh, killer instinct and all of that, the way Sean played his bond. And uh, and then when one person was tried on that one picture, on a Majesty's Secret Service with uh, with George, um, you know, Roger had to follow and be compared to Sean. And Roger was coming, obviously, a very successful television show, Simon Templer in The Saints, and then coming off of To Do This in Live and La Die must have been a humongous amount of pressure on him. But he had to bring something different to Bond that would pick up pick up the pace, which is exactly what he did. And so the one-liners that were coming off his mouth, rolled off his mouth, were, were incredible and done with a straight face, which made him even funnier. I always thought that he should have been in comedy. I, I always told him that. Listen, you... you, you you're not an action star. You're a, you're a comedian. And, and, and it was just awesome the way he did it. I'll give you one incident that took place in Woodaipur on location. Every night after, after the shoot was over, we would sit by the poolside. It's so hot. And uh, by the poolside, at a, length, a long table, all the actors, spouses, I was the only single person there at the time, uh, 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 You know, having to deal with 32 uh, Miss Worlds and Miss Universes during the entire <laughs> filming of the movie. But uh, in any event, that was, that was my problem. It's yeah, t- t- <laughs> a terrible time. You're that burden was a, to oh, bear. Jeez, what a horrible, horrible time he must have had. <laughs> and and so Roger's sitting at the head of the table. His anecdotes and his stories are just incredible to listen to. He could talk all day. He's got a cigar in his mouth. He's wearing a safari suit. We're sitting at a table right by the pool. He's telling the story. And right in the middle of the story, he, he would say, excuse mm-hmm. me. Get up, from the, get up from the seat, put a cigar at the edge of the pool, dive right in, safari suit, loafers and all, swim to the other side, swim back, get back out of the pool, put the cigar in his mouth, sit down, and continue the story like nothing had happened. That is exactly
6: the way we want to picture
5: Roger Moore. Yes, that's
1: just, I just want to see that as Roger Moore forever now. That's perfect. <laughs> My, not a, I mean, everything is coming off his, his hair, is this, nothing, nothing. The cigar is still lit. He's, he's, he's no. been one of the nicest people you could ever meet. Everything about it had a tennis touch to it. And it was released, obviously, during the summer in England, which is the best time for tennis in the UK, which is Queen's Club in Wimbledon and so on and so forth. And uh, there were a lot of puns that took place at the time. Um, and one very interesting uh, incident was—I don't know if you—I don't know if you guys follow Wimbledon, but uh, there's a qualification to get into Wimbledon. And if you lose in the final round of the qualifying before you get into Wimbledon, if you lose in that final round, you could become one of the lucky losers to get into Wimbledon should someone drop out from the main draw. Mm-hmm. And so at the at the movie premiere, a lot of the tennis players showed up to watch the picture. And when I died in the movie one of them jumped up in the middle of the cinema and said, I'm in, I'm in, meaning you're women because I died in the movie. <laughs> that's how it should
5: work in Bond films. That, that, that was, you know, lucky losers. What, what is it like getting killed by a buzzsaw? I mean, do, do you go into that going, okay, pretty pretty cool way of going out. I could have gotten shot. I could have pushed off a cliff. But no, nah, death by a buzzsaw, that's a pretty cool way to go out.
1: Well, that was another hairy moment because first of all, uh, you know, when the villains use a method of killing someone, they always, in a Bond picture, it, it's never a bullet to the forehead, is it? No. Or a bullet, bullet to the heart. It's always some messy death that is planned for him. Buzzsaws, saws, villains... lasers, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So when this guy started to do the buzz saw, from above me, it's a very heavy piece of equipment that went the other way. And I looked up at him with these guys holding me and I said, uh, how long have you been practicing this? Because it was a pretty heavy piece of equipment. And he said, well, I only got it this morning. (laughs) (laughs) And he was only supposed to miss me by about that much. (laughs) It was, and I kept shouting whether, you know, as to whether they had insurance and what I should do and, you know, get out of the way, should I jump back? He said, no, 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 John kept saying, he'll miss you, he'll miss you. It's easy for you to say, you're standing way over there. (laughs) So it was one of those things. And and of course, Roger made some remarks that uh, obviously can't be aired.
5: You mentioned before about the the, so the stunt work and everything during the, the rickshaw tuk-tuk chase. Um, I need to find out, did you really play the, the flute, VJ And also, uh, did I read correctly that you are actually scared of snakes so therefore you didn't have to act that much
1: in those scenes? <laughs> um, do, did I really play the flute? I thought I blew it pretty well.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we believed you played it so it, it came across on screen well. <laughs> the tune
1: that came out was spectacular. Some it of was. I've done with the piano. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, the, the, the interesting thing about the snake was I kept asking the snake, the guy who owned the snake. I said, uh, well, I'm glad you've taken out all the poison from the cobra. And he said, uh, 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 no, sir, we have to leave a little in. Otherwise, the s- snake dies. <laughs> so you mean to say that if he strikes me that I could be poisoned? He said, yes, sir.
5: <laughs> Sound like they were doing everything in their powers to kill you on this film, VJ.
1: <laughs> you know what people don't realize about these Bond pictures is that uh, everything about the Bond picture is real. All, the, all, the, all of Q's uh, stuff that he has, everything works. None of them is fake. It's, it's incredible. From that aeroplane that they manufactured to fly in the opening scene of Octopussy, it's incredible. From that jump that that guy made off the cliff in *Spy Who Loved Me*, it, it, it's it's real, and it's it's unimaginable that they're able to do those things.
5: We, we might know of a couple of more modern-day ones where they're not as real, um, but uh, that's that's for Colin yeah. to to maybe chime in <laughs> and uh, <laughs> comment on surfing off icebergs potentially. That's, but. that's the beauty of the old movies when they did it for real, right, Vijay? <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs>
5: quick uh two-part question to, to to wrap things up vj uh questions that you get asked all the time but we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't ask you these who do you is the best ever james bond and who is the best ever tennis player <laughs> <laughs> <Good one.
1: laughs> that that for that you don't have a bottle of wine to be able to answer that question <laughs> okay yeah, we, we, I, I i know some people
5: back home in australia i'll get you some good stuff Russian there vodka. Oh, <laughs> oh, <yes. That's
1: laughs> well, wine is terrific, by the way, uh, as are my own. But uh, and and if are you in London, Ben? You're in Vancouver, right?
5: No, well, I'm near Vancouver. I'm in Victoria, so you know, basically Vancouver.
1: Oh are in Victoria. Uh, I have my own brand of wine, by the way, called Vijayamitra's wines. You can Google it. But right. in any event, <laughs> uh, the 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 one thing that I should, when you ask me the first question about who's the best bond, I've had the good fortune to have done something with all the six guys who played Bond, really starting starting with sean who was an avid tennis player in the beginning before he went off and played golf full-time because of of, uh, Mm -hmm. his knees and so on so sean we played in charity events in tennis george Lazenby has been a part of my charity event a couple of years in the golf tournament that we've had in los angeles so george and i also caught up for a product that we launched together several months ago um Roger, of course, and I became very good friends. And then Timothy and I, who don't know quite as well, but we did some things for the British consulate here in Los Angeles, which was interesting. P.S. and I became very good friends um, and uh, play, uh, played a lot of golf together. Wow. And we're still very much in touch. He's uh, obviously living in Hawaii now, but uh, he was living in Malibu, so we used to see each other quite a bit on the golf course at my club and uh, enjoy golf. We are about the same standard, so it was fun to play with him. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, when Daniel came along, we were uh, invited to uh, launch a product together at, uh, in New York, in Manhattan. So uh, I've had a chance to kind of work with all six of them in some form or fashion. And as Pierce likes to say, uh, there are more people who have walk- walked on the moon. Yeah. no <laughs> yeah, <I'm> kidding. <laughs> so, um, yeah, who is the best Bond? I think uh, the way Sean created the character was spectacular as 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 good as the team was when um, cubby and harry bought the rights to doing it i think but for roger to be able to run with it after a successful six six picture run by sean uh, i think was quite unique so uh and being very very close and uh, as objective as i possibly can be i think i will have to go with with roger and sean up front but again i think daniel has done a terrific job in, in the in the later stages though pierce has tried very hard to combine roger and sean together Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah.
6: And, and you know what? Uh, we didn't quite get the answer on the tennis player, but Ben, just by default uh, as a proud Canadian, we're going to check that off as Milos Raonic. I think
1: that was what VJ said, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I definitely had light in I tell you, Canada <laughs> have done a spectacular job with its players. In mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, considering what they've what they've had, but I think they've done a great job with, with Canadian tennis. And uh, but to answer Ben's question, I think uh, for me, Rod Laver was always Uh, the one to look up to though I ended up fortunate to have played him and beat him at the US Open and one other time as well but uh, but you look at the record you have to go with the record and you can't compare uh, you've got to compare apples and apples and so Mm. um, I think Roger Rafa Novak Lever all of these guys would have been good in any generation. Just put them in that generation, and they would have been the best.
5: I, I appreciate that, when Collins, you know, shouting the prideful Canadian player there. That I I went for <laughs> la- I went for Leighton Hewitt instead of Rod Labor. So I um, <laughs> I, he's player of my era. I grew up loving Leighton, so I guess okay. kind of that's you know him and Pat Rafter were kind of my heroes growing oh, up. So yeah, that's kind of where there I you went go.
6: from that. <laughs> Julian Glover, so thrilled to have you on the show here today. Thanks so much for being here.
0: Hi, guys. Hi, everybody. <laughs> good to be here. It's midday for me, but it, uh, it's not for you, I gather. Rather <laughs> no. Yeah. Being able to I'm talk to a Bond up. villain
6: will instantly wake us up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I can wake you up if you want to. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't do it. My voice is too big. And that's, another, that's a good, very lucky thing with me, that my voice has held up. Quite a lot of my friends who are my age, you know, I'm very old now, um, have got, got into that sort of rather wheezy, wheezy mm-hmm. thing. And uh, fortunately for the moment, mine, mine holds up. So uh, uh, let's hope it long continues that way. And hope so it's interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> <Rar! laughs>
5: we'll get you talking so much that it will just wane out by the end of it. Don't worry. <laughs> it must be interesting you sort of talk you talk a lot about the roles that you've had before and particularly the the three main franchises that that colin mentioned there with with indiana jones star wars and of course james bond each of those franchises when you appeared in were well established at that point of course you know obviously empire strikes back was the sequel but star wars was such a hit indiana jones it was the third one and for your eyes only obviously well into the james bond canon so to to be in the ground level of such a hit as game of thrones that's that's very unique i guess kind of from what maybe you were used to at that point
0: well Yes, they did come as a bit of a surprise, but one takes that, you know, it's another, it really is another job, and you do your best with that particular job, and it ha- they happen to work out. Uh, the, for your eyes, only experience was a good one. Um, <laughs> it's extraordinary how an actor's life can change, just like that. Uh, I'd had about six months out of work, and I would, we were getting desperate. My wife wasn't working either, and... Um, we were into, you know, selling the car stuff and talking about selling the house. And and we have a very modest semi-detached house here in 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 London, in, in the suburbs of London. Anyway, we were, we were into that. And one uh, weekend, my, no, about Wednesday, my agent rang and said, oh, I've got to get a movie. Uh, fantastic. It's a film, uh, a Roman movie with Tony Hopkins. And it's being filmed in Greece at the moment. Um, and they wanted to go out uh, in uh, over a week's time. And <clears throat> I said, oh, fantastic, wonderful, wonderful. Very bad money, but it didn't matter. It was work and it was some money. So we arranged for my wife to come out with me and all that stuff. On the Friday, uh, another call from my agent saying, I'm terribly sorry, but the Screen Actors Guild is on strike. So all American films have been cancelled. Wow. So they're was, back at square one. We we went into a sort of despair. The next morning, Saturday morning, when no business in our business happens at all, my agent rang from home and said, they're interested in you, get along now for a film about Alexander the Great, uh, the great uh, Greek king, and they want you, they're interested in you for playing the part of his father, Philip of Macedon, um, and they go out next week to Greece. I, I, I and the money is dreadful. <laughs> uh, I, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> so, to cut the long story short, I went out to, court, to Corinth, which is where the film was being made, uh, did all that, and was within a week of leaving it when my agent rang again in Spain, in, in Greece, and said, uh, uh, They want you for the James Bond movie. For the leading, uh, they want me? Well, they've got to meet you. Christ, I said, Saturday, you've got to be there on a Sunday. And I said, I can't, I'm shooting all Saturday. And he said, Julian, this is a Bond film. Get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and licked the feet of the first assistant. Um, <laughs> and, and he was very understanding. And he managed to get rid of me at lunchtime on, on, on the Saturday. But only just in time for me to catch the plane to Frankfurt from Athens, which I was in all my makeup and everything, Um, I was taking my makeup off in the car going to Athens Airport. And uh, Frankfurt, then to London, and then home. And my wife, who was in the theatre at the time, couldn't believe it when I walked in through the door. You're supposed to be... in. Corinth, and I, yes well this is what happened and the next morning I went for an interview, long interview with uh, Cubby Broccoli and his wife Dana and everybody else on the film it seemed and I thought this is a bit funny and the costume chap after my long talk uh, said and they went the couple went off, Cubby and his wife went off into into another room to talk and uh, Tony Nichols, the uh, costume chap said you've got it Julian I can tell that Dana wants you and um Indeed, I got it. Got the part of the leading villain in a James Bond movie. Wow! With the That's... next plane out, and the next morning I was shooting again. And that evening, of course, I bought dinner for the whole whole. I funeral. can imagine. And, um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I And a special dinner for that first assistant. Wow! And then uh, after that, uh, I all I had to do was fly the little bit of distance between Corinth and Corfu which was a half hour plane journey. Um, and I got, the first thing I did was be re- greeted with this brown envelope with 520 pounds in it, which was my first weeks per diem. I simply couldn't believe it, it was out of poverty into, wow, what is this <laughs> uh, filming? And, uh, <coughs> and I did my first day's filming when I got there, it was stuff on a boat. And I knew jolly well that uh, if I'd screwed up, I'd be, I'd be out on the next plane. Uh, but I wasn't. Uh, I didn't screw up, when I was kept on for the film. And that's the brief history of the, Julian the, Glover. The, for rest, your eyes. the rest is history.
5: I'd love to know with the role of Christados. What, what's so unique about For Your Eyes Only is that halfway through the film, you kind of have this quick pull situation where, you know, we think that you're the good guy that you're working with bond. And then of course, ultimately you're the, the villain, uh, throughout that role. And of course, any actor will say, and, uh, you know, you're playing the villain we know of the villain, but you don't play it as a villain. You always assume that your motives are good, of course, uh, you know, throughout that. But does that make it, I mean, how is that playing a role like Christados where for the audience perspective, we don't know you're really evil, at least in our eyes, until halfway through. Does that make it a, a different way of playing a character like that? Or do you still play it the same? Because as I said, you kind of play a villain, not assuming that you're a villain all the time.
0: You, you play it for the motives you're, you're, the character has for doing it. <clears throat> and he wanted money in order to go on properly protecting and uh, promoting that skater. Mm, baby. Like mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and who was his protege. And it's not until later in the film that he gets a bit bad with her um, uh, when he gets Frustrated but that's the, that was my main object in it. And I was willing to, uh, help the Russians in whatever way I helped in that sort of typewriter thing, attack, whatever the, it's called. The ATAC, Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. What was it called?
5: The attack.
6: Attack.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, attack. Yeah. Um, I was able to do that because I mean, I wanted to do it because I wanted money from the Russians and, uh, Exactly the same motivation as in For Your Eyes Only. No, for in, uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Walter Donovan wants, needs the money in order to find the secret of eternal life. And I, I ask you now, both of you, what would you do for the secret of eternal life? Um,
5: <laughs> well, I mean, I'd, I'd hang out with Lynn Holly Johnson. If that's an option, I'd hang out with BB. Like, can we <laughs> You <Yeah, laughs> get the money? I'll, I'll have Lynn Holly Johnson. Does that work?
0: <laughs> Holly Johnson. Wasn't she lovely? Ah, uh, yeah. She, she came over from uh, f- from the states when um, when Roger died, and he had a wonderful uh, ser- celebration at the Pinewood Studios. Uh, took all afternoon. It was just absolutely fantastic tribute. Uh, and she came all the way from the states for that. Hardly changed at all, little Holly. Such a bonny girl, and such a nice young woman. Uh, she was t- tremendously popular and. We all adored her. Yes. Well, that was that was what I had to like in Game of Thrones. You hold something inside yourself, which is the reason you're doing things. You know, even Hitler didn't do things for no reason. Mm-hmm. You might hate the reasons, but he 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 did horrible things. But he thought he was doing it for a, the right
5: reasons. I mean, obviously he, history frowns upon Hitler, that, but he thought he was.
0: Hitler himself was not. Um, someone who rel- <clears throat> relished in torturing human beings. Now mm. uh, To play that is a quite different thing. Uh, to, to play someone who gets pleasure, sometimes almost sexual pleasure, from hurting someone very badly and seeing the results of their hurt. Now, that's another thing entirely from being Mr. Mr. Big. Mr. Big closes his eyes to all that, if he can, and just takes the rewards. He's got a different motive it sounds very arch and very actuary, but I am an actor so why shouldn't I talk like an actor um you you have to find the the bottom of the blow you have to which doesn't show well I suppose it does but, but you don't consciously play either a villain or a good guy but you're a good guy if you... Chris Tartos was a good, nice chap, good chap to have dinner with and a good conversationalist. Had this rivalry, of course, with Topol, but that's something which can happen in any businesses. Uh, people have rivalries. Uh, and in Indiana Jones, he, he was someone who had this extraordinary ambition to find this secret and um, to find the Holy Grail, really. Uh, as I say, I challenge anyone not to be sorely tempted to do anything rather naughty in order to get that and um he didn't however it did end up with me being the only person to have shot sean connery on screen to have (laughs) killed sean connery on screen and if it wasn't for that damn juice which i didn't drink (laughs) um, (laughs) (laughs) he'd be dead now and of course all sean is dead now I knew Sean many, many years ago when I did a, a wonderful Shakespeare series on television in England called An Age of Kings, um, which, we, which we did in black and white in those old days as 50-minute episodes. We did it like a soap, and we went through the, the history plays from one to, beginning to the end. Uh, and Sean Connery was employed to come in and play a wonderful part, which I wanted very badly. I had to admit that Sean was much better. Called Hotspur, and if you think of the name Hotspur, you can see what Sean could do with it. Yeah. And, um, and he was absolutely fantastic. And that's that's when we first got to know each other. And we knew each other peripherally, you know, at parties and things like that. How did Sean I had a little chat, uh, and then we got to work on the film. And it was, a, it was very nice to be together with him. And um, and then he was able to properly introduce me to Harrison. And um, we gone on very well. well rest, why not?
5: The rest is history. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting actually because I believe you have worked with four of the Bond actors as well. You're mentioning Sean, obviously Roger and Fury Eyes only, and you've worked with uh, Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan as well. So, and, and we were trying to work this out that you might be outside of you know someone like Desmond Llewellyn. Um, you know, one of the only actors who will work with that many of the Bond actors. You need to find something to do with Daniel Craig and George Lazenby, Julian. I feel like you, you need to tick off the, the list here so you can say you've worked with all six of
0: them. Well, I'm not going to do that now. <laughs>
5: <laughs> you never know. Daniel Craig's about to retire as Bond. Like, he might start doing some of, you know, things like a Game of Thrones prequel or something like that, or who knows? <laughs>
0: A reunion back. yeah Yeah, and George, Laz- <laughs>
5: George Lazenby's not doing much. I'm sure he'll, you know, like, they, they need to do something like that. And maybe, you know, just you need to find your agent to say, like, hey, I need to find something to do with Daniel Craig and George Lazenby. It's killing me that I haven't worked with these two Bond actors. The other <laughs> that, that,
0: four. That would, <laughs> that would completely just, just quadruple. The sense. Quintu- 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 yeah. Yes.
5: I don't know how you are collecting things. Like I, for one, if that was me, I love collecting things and I can't leave things uncollected. I'd be like, like make it happen somehow. Daniel Craig, George Lazenby, get them in a movie with me, a TV show, anything, uh, uh, an audio book, something. I need to work with them. <laughs>
0: So I can boast about it.
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I don't think there would be any. I mean, outside of you know the broccolis and and people who have worked on you know behind the scenes. But I, I would love a listener to be able to correct me if I'm wrong. That there has been somebody there who has has acted with every single one of them, because that would be a unique little statistic.
0: Yeah. So I'm trying to think. However, you're not going to kick me into doing anything about it. No. <laughs> Damn it, I thought I had that sway. <laughs> not I, quite. <laughs> i worked with all, with all the James Bonds. That's absolutely right. Yes, I have. Except for him. Yeah. Mind yeah. We, we don't count him. No. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor George.
5: Fellow Australian. Yeah. He was
0: from out of, out of left field, he came. With had an extraordinarily lucky and unfortunately happy private life I was my first marriage was um, as I said was was happy up to a point and then it went wrong Um, but my second marriage has been absolutely perfect and uh, as I say we are very fond of each other every evening we have the same routine as a, a glass of wine Sitting quietly by ourselves, talking, us having a day over. Not that there's much to have over these days, is there? Yeah. Day. What happened? To me? Well, I got up and had two a, a piece of toast and a half a piece of toast. <laughs> <laughs> I did <that> too. Tonight <laughs> might
5: be different. You might be able to talk about those fantastic podcast hosts that you had a great conversation with, who you know, are, yeah. are fantastic, and I recommend them to anyone. That, that's that could be tonight's conversation, Julian.
0: <laughs> Not at all. No. no, no. <laughs>
5: You did say, yeah, paint like paint drying as well. Like That's the thing too. So, yeah, maybe fourth on the list after those cards and the paint and the toast. Uh, we'll take that. Fourth on the list by Julian Glover. Yeah, well, that's pretty good review for us.
4: <laughs>
5: Obviously a lot more in this book outside of the, the Lost Timothy Dalton films and a couple that I wanted to touch on. I, I was so fascinated reading... All the information you did on James Bond Junior. We we've covered the pilot <laughs> on this show, and you know it's it's an interesting it's an interesting journey. But I I don't know again if there's really been much written on the history because no, it's, it's it was so interesting learning about ev- and how seriously it was taken because it's obviously something often mocked by Bond fans, but like this yes. was a big deal for everybody involved in. Eon and, and The Broccoli put a lot of effort into this show.
13: I, I, I'm, gl- I'm, I'm so happy that you took that away from it. And, and yes, I think that, that, that my book uh, has the most comprehensive account of James Bond Jr. Uh, for, for, for some, perhaps too much. Uh, but, yeah, they took it really, really seriously. They weren't – I don't – I'm not – I didn't give it – I gave it a lot of um, book space uh, and, and, and research, not necessarily because I thought it's good or bad. I don't concern myself with it, whether good or bad, but, I'm, but the book is about intent. Mm. Uh, and their intent was to make a, a, a nuanced, uh, cartoon about James Bond's younger days. Now, what came across might not have been that, um, or wasn't that, but they really put all their effort into this you know this was co-written co-created i should say by uh, michael g wilson yeah you know and so you you so it's great to learn for me to learn about the process that they went through in writing that and creating that i speak to the 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 people who wrote the scripts the people who wrote the spin-off novels i I look at the the bible the so your your listeners probably know this a series bible or is sort of the film is the guide by which other people go by to it's got character descriptions and it tells about the intent and so you know one of their ideas was to have the james bond iris open the each show they try to structure it like a mini James Bond movie. They they wanted the the humor to be sophisticated. They wanted the plots to be sophisticated. Uh, they were not. An, they weren't trying to dumb it down, um, and they put a lot of resources in this. There were video games. There were there were spin-off books. There were Marvel comics. Uh, yeah, they, they they threw the everything at it.
5: Which and the Bible, the whole every person you talk to would talk about this and kind of these guidelines and even kind of i guess having to check sometimes like e what they could and couldn't do but the thing that really fascinated me was kind of that insight into the world of animation the fact that there was like 60 odd episodes that they basically write record put together all at once this isn't like a, a tv show where you're putting episodes together over a certain period of time and you're going along this is all done at once and i'm like wow these animators they they have got a very busy damn job
13: Yeah, no, it's 60, it's 65 episodes, uh, I think from 90 to 91. Uh, and they were all sort of working on top of each other. And so, so I, I, I spoke to, you know, a bunch of of the writers, as I mentioned, and I would say, oh, look, you're sort of doing, they would pitch multiple ideas to the same person thinking, you know, I could do a variation on a theme. Uh, so. And so, but they would, but they would, all those ideas would get approved. So if sometimes there were similarities, they weren't necessarily thinking that each idea would get approved. Mm. They would, they would, um, you know, just because they needed so much material all at once, they just said, yes, yes, yes. And off the writers went. Um, But the other thing about that is all the writers took it so, I mean, they took their job seriously. They realized that they were a part of the James Bond franchise and that they were trying to, they were trying to do it to the best of their ability. You know, there's in one Bond battles a Yeti, you know, like a Bigfoot type creature. In another one, Bond wears a bumblebee costume. Yes. And takes flight with a group of other, uh, of these crooks who also wear bumblebee costumes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it. in another one, he goes surfing. Yeah.
5: And what's great because about Sean Connery's these, likeness too, wasn't it? Th- th- like, th- that's yeah. what I was
13: about to say. What's great about these is that it's Sean Connery's likeness through all of these comic books. Yeah. So you yeah. see Sean Connery in stories that are not normally associated with Connery. For example, it's Sean Connery and Moonraker. It's Sean Connery and the Spy Who Loved Me. And this it's the Spy Who Loved Me based on the, uh, the Fleming novel, not the film. So it's 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 wonderful.
5: It's it really was fascinating. I just I was blown away by some of the ideas that that were out there. Did did you have a favorite of all the ones that you kind of discovered? That I, I you mean
13: the, Bond versus a Yeti is it's it's hard it's hard to type that to top.
5: Yeah, yeah. There's a film treatment we want to see that Idris Elba in, in Bond Twenty Six battles a Yeti. I think we'd kind of be uh, excited for that. Speaking of Radio James Bond. Love the chat you have with Toby Stevens. Oh, my gosh. I, look, I, as you can probably see behind me, die another day. You know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a weird fanboy of it. So, obviously, love him as Gustav Graves. But, again, a lot of people might not be aware that he plays James Bond in these radio plays and does a pretty good job with it. You mentioned there that it's something that he doesn't really talk about too often. So, how, how yeah. tricky was it to kind of get Toby that, to open up about Bond?
13: That, that, took, that took a while. That was another one of those that took a while and then I was That's another thing where I felt like I added value for Bond fans by giving them something that they couldn't get anywhere, which is, to my knowledge, the only in-depth interview uh, with Toby Stevens about playing Bond in in these many radio adaptations, which are fairly faithful versions of, of Fleming's novels. And he's playing Fleming's Bond Um, and he's, you know, he also narrates the books. He also Mm -hmm. narrates a couple of Bond books, and what I think is kind of cool is that when he's narrating Fleming's Fleming's books, it's one Bond, and his Bond on the radio dramas is a slightly different take on the character, you know? But so it was, long story short, I I was thrilled to finally, you know, get some information from him about that.
5: The one thing I'll say I was disappointed about it, Mark, was, again, there was no, and you might have asked him a question it just didn't make the book, but there were no references to Die Another Day. I mean, I would have just been like, cool, you played Bond, but, like, talk to me about Gustav. Talk to me about (laughs) Die Another Day. I'll be be the guy that's defending you in it, Toby. You've probably gotten so much shit over the years, but I'll be the one. Like, talk to me about Gustav.
13: Yeah, no, he, that's why you shouldn't be people who are not necessarily warm to to that version of Gustav Graves should check out these radio dramas because he's so good as James Bond.
5: Yeah. And it's, it is kind of one of those fascinating things. I mean, I legitimately, you, you're looking at all these lists now, who will be the next James Bond now that Craig's gone? And Toby Stephen still appears on some of these. I think he's a bit old now, unfortunately, probably for the role. But I think some people think, well, he does such good in the radio one. Would we have a villain become James Bond, essentially? One fascinating thing too, before before we let you go, you've met, I believe, four out of the six actors who have played Bond on film. So I, if I'm not mistaken, it's only Connery and Dalton you haven't That's met. That's correct. So give correct. us a brief rundown of how you've managed to have these uh, experiences with four of the six movie bonds.
13: I, 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 I actually don't want to overstate my connection to any of them. They were, they were they were all brief and and in passing. I met Roger Moore a few times at a few uh, 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 events that I, that I only went to because I knew he would be there. Um, I worked on a movie that Pierce Brosnan was at, so I was able to spend a little time with him. Uh, and so that was kind of neat. And who else is there? of me I met, Lassie. Lassie I met yep. for the for the interview. And I feel like there's one more. Craig,
14: I love oh, you Craig story. Murray, I, I love this
5: story.
13: <laughs> I met Daniel. He he was going to appear at a Q&A of Knives Out. And so I I brought him my first bomb book and I presented it to him. And so that that was like a little thrill for me because he was he was very gracious about
5: it. Which which at. can I just point out? You 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 <laughs> got yourself a front row seat and you kind of rushed the stage. Which I love that little <laughs> bit which you said. Which and like I loved your line when like. You said he sort of graciously took it and how you would like to think that in in the car back to the hotel where it was that he maybe had a bit, bit of a flick through, which it was just it's a nice little moment because I can imagine as an author, when you're writing something like this and you get that opportunity to present someone a book like that, that you gotta have that little moment of thinking, like, well, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah in my in more. my
13: imaginings, when he got into the car, you know, he had this long ride, you know, this New York City traffic. He has to get back to another borough, perhaps, and he's got nothing else to do. Might, might might as well read my book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> while, while he's in the car.
14: Thank you much, Ben. I'm very glad to be here. It's funny. Our documentary is about names, and I'm I'm very impressed with Double Oz Seven. <laughs> uh i think i don't know how many martinis it took for you guys to come up with that one uh but since i've heard it now seems just so obvious for an australian bond bond double oz seven it's not about i hear obviously you, you don't obviously know a bond world you hear like every bond pun yes that goes just around a few and when they do headlines about the film and that kind of all the classic double o heavens and yeah. things but double oz seven
5: <laughs> <laughs> I have to be honest with you, There's, it, I mean, it does roll off the tongue well, but um, at the time we did it, uh, my co-host and I were doing a show purely on Survivor, and the show was called Survivor Oz, and we just wanted to keep the word Oz in everything that we did. So yep. it kind of just connected the bases with all our other shows. So um, seven, seven years later, it's still working a treat, and here we are. So, was it
14: um, an Australian Survivor podcast? or, or a,
5: uh, a- we, It was mainly, you at the time, it was purely US because we didn't have the Australian version at the time. Um, but obviously okay. now that doesn't exist. There's another Australian Survivor. There's a whole history there, Matt. We could be here Actually, all day just talking about I, that. I, yes. I dipped
14: back into that world <laughs> during the Russell Hantz or during the sort of renaissance of that period, probably around yes. that time,
5: everyone, um, a lot of people did. That was, and I think that's what actually, um, yeah, I think when Channel 9 started re showing it. They they stopped showing yeah. it and they caught up because of the I of
14: did, it. I probably did the first five years, but actually really enjoyed rejoining it for a few years
5: there. Yeah, um, yeah, but sorry, I'll let you on to the, the it's all sorry. good. We can, like, we've got, we've got time. Let's first 10 minutes on Survivor, and then we'll get to this little movie you've made. I believe it's so, sure. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I've got to ask one more question then in relation to one of the James Bonds you spoke to. You mentioned a little bit to me off air. We are talking a bit about James Bond. I've obviously got the Die Another Day poster behind me. And you mentioned about one of the people you talked to, a big Swedish fan who I believe actually changed his name to James Bond, who has a bit of a Die Another Day connection, it seems. So please tell me the story about uh, this one James Bond who loved Die Another Day, maybe more than I do.
14: Yeah. So we didn't really want to go the name change route in this film because there are, of course, I mean, there's a lot of people who like at least they call themselves James Bond in like India, you know, and it's clearly just an India guy who calls himself James Bond or whatever. But with this guy, we found him in Sweden and basically he lives in a very small isolated, snowy town called Nibro in Sweden. And he the thing about him is that he's a man who's turned himself into James Bond. The, 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 the name change is really just the icing on the cake. Um, and he literally, you know, he, he owns the James Bond museum. And the reason for that is because he, he works in the car industry, and so slowly over the years began buying up James Bond's cars and vehicles. And actually now if someone has a James Bond vehicle to sell on the market. They often go to him because they know wow. he's a buyer of these things. So but he's got every, he's he's got the hovercraft from Die Another Day, for instance. Really? Wow. Um, and you know, I was actually with him when he was buying that from england a few years ago but basically did he pay
5: for the hovercraft to chime yeah. in Is it cheap? yeah and then,
14: obviously if he can't get the one from the film he just buys the same model um you oh. know and so basically he ended up with so much stuff of bond that he actually opened a, a museum for it so now accepts visitors and guests Um, but, but yeah, but he's a man who's turned himself into James Bond. So I mean, from my experience, you know, I arrived there in Sweden and, you know, the Aston Martin pulled up at the train station, he gets out dressed as James Bond, comes up, you know, good morning. My name is Bond, James Bond, um, you know, you, you go and drink martinis and Bollinger and, you know, he, he lives life as James Bond. And so, and you have to see the film to figure out there is a why to that. Um, which, which, yeah, you'll you'll see in the film, but that was the kind of cool thing with him. But yeah, but what what I find interesting with him is that he's he's a guy who's turned himself into James Bond, but it's against the backdrop of this tiny snowy town in the middle of Sweden, and so it's kind of funnier because he goes around this town as James Bond. Of course, the local townsfolk there are somewhat bewildered. <laughs> by, by all of this and kind of by the media attention that's come on their town because of this man. Um, but what's funny with him is he kind of, you know, we talk about the 24 Renaissance. He, he kind of, he loved Bond his entire life, but GoldenEye for him was a massive Renaissance of, of Bond. Um, because, Yeah He went through that period Which I'm too young for But it must have been A fascinating period Between License to Kill And Goldeneye Where it felt like James Bond might actually End forever And of course Now we're like Got a six year gap Between Bond films that seems normal, but exactly. I, remember, I, I remember as a kid when they came, when the Brosnan films came out every two years, I was like, yeah. oh God, imagine that drought of six years between. But anyway, he was such a Bond fan that when Goldeneye came out, it was it was like, you know, Jesus returning, if you will. <laughs> and so he became very attached to Pierce Brosnan and because him and Brosnan look somewhat similar, he, he, Brosnan became the the Bond that he models himself on specifically and then but because the museum is surrounded by ice and snow he's kind of used the die another day brosnan specifically and specifically with the cars and vehicles he purchases he's got like the skidoo you know the ski runner things from Die Another Day. Um, And then he's got the Aston Martin from Die Another Day, um, which is not snow based, but obviously he drives around in that in the snow all the time with the winter tires on. Um, And then obviously, funnily enough, he's got the hovercraft from Die Another Day. And the hovercraft obviously only is in the in the sweet, in the North Korea sequences of that film, <laughs> but he drives the hovercraft around in the snow. Oh, which is wow. This whole thing where, of course, because it's an all-terrain vehicle, right? And so <laughs> he- kind of brought the hovercraft into his own version of the Ice Palace world of that film. And so I think for Bond fans, there's this whole other layer to his sequences that he's kind of talking about Die Another Day all the time, which obviously for (laughs) Bond fans is a very... Divisive. Film. I thought
5: we were the one thing in this world that still talked about Die the day so much. There's a guy out there who talks about it even more. <laughs> yeah, no. It, I mean, one of the funniest <laughs> things
14: in the museum is he he plays some of the James Bond DVD extras just on screens around the museum, and so one of them he's got the 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 VFX. Uh, there's a featurette with the VFX artists who designed the tidal wave. Yeah, of the day, which obviously is famously and is constantly Terrible. on. Terrible. Five, top five worst visual effects sequences of all time list. Yep. But because that's that is all about the snow and ice, he has that on a screen because it fits with the museum. But again, there's this whole other level of comedy that that you know, in this thing called the James Bond Museum, there's this real celebration of the aesthetic of Die Another Day, plus this featurette about the worst visual effects sequence of all time playing wow. on screens. Um, But yeah You just maybe want to go to Sweden even more now (laughs) It's meant to be a bit bizarre You you know And I think as a Bond fan You also understand this whole other level of bizarre to it Because what I like about James Is he doesn't follow the convention Of what you're supposed to like in James Bond He's he's a guy from Nebro And he likes what he likes in James Bond And he likes the fun stuff And like most people do You know outside of our little James Bond fan bubble you know, uh, people do like the fun ones, and people kind of do like Die Another Day, and they're like, yeah, that one where they- Because yeah, we've all st- got our guilty
5: pleasure, no matter what Bond type of Bond fan you are. We've all got that one that most people don't like, but we like. You mentioned License to Kill, a usually hated Bond fan, a film, but some people got to have it up. Die Another Day for me, one of our co-hosts, he loves Diamonds Are Forever. Like, it's just you've always got that guilty yeah. pleasure, which is kind well, of think, shit, but think- you enjoy it.
14: I think it's also relative to what's going on in the films right now. I I think with the, the, what I would call the incredibly overstuffed plots in the back half of the final of the last two Bond films. Yeah. I think it's caused people to, and by the way, if you had told me on paper as a kid, the plots of Spectre and no time to (laughs) die, I would have been drooling. I would have said yes, you know, when I was stuck in the middle of of the Brosnan era, I always said, "Oh my God, that's my dream that that Spectre was behind the death of Vesper Lind and he's going to meet Blofeld in prison, and it's going to be like out of Silence of the Lambs." I, like I would have dreamed of that Bond film existing. However, I, sometimes I think you have to be careful of, of what you wish for, and I think mm. now especially. There does feel like there's been a resurgence in love for the non-GoldenEye Brosnan film. It's
5: tw- twenty years anniversary. We talk about the sixtieth yeah. anniversary of Bond. It's tw- happy twenty yeah, anniversary yeah. for Die Another Day this year. Matt, come on. Uh, and I think I
14: think now sometimes after after these you know also very long films, yeah, the Brosnan films actually you know they have the same production value of of the later Bond films, but they're just a lot kind of simpler. I mean, the fact is you know the Brosnan films actually are just the classic James Bond on a mission structure. Yeah. Um you know and I think there there has been a reappreciation. I think you can feel it happening these days of of those films. About
5: time. It's meant to happen, I'm telling you now. I was actually yeah. hoping you were going to say that uh, you go to his museum and there's like a, an empty pedestal. And he would go, oh, look, there's the uh, Aston Martin from Die Another Day, but it's invisible. So, like, he could have just yeah. pulled that off. But, you know what, um... that's
14: a good joke, and I'm going to tell him to try that one. That's actually <laughs> really. You know, that's You're actually, welcome. That's actually a really funny joke, and I'm going to tell him to do that in the museum. Make a plaque that says this is the invisible Aston Martin from Die Another Day. That's People would get it. It's that's really funny, Ben. I don't think he's thought of that. I'm gonna suggest that to him. It's, a, it's it, that's a good idea.
5: Just us nearly 120 episodes uh, of somebody saying I'm funny, Matt. You are my favourite no, guest no, we've ever had just, on the show. Thank you. Because
14: <laughs> he has a James Bond museum. That's the pl- only there or somewhere like Bond in Motion could that. Jo- I'm gonna tell him that one, Ben. Oh, stay tuned. That's life.
8: That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April. Shot down in May But I'll never change my tune When I'm back on top back on top in June I say that's life That's life as funny as it seems You know some people get their kicks stomping on a dream But I don't let it get me down Cause this final world keeps spinning around I've been a puppet, a pirate, a pauper, a poet Pawn and a king I've been up and down and over and out And I know one thing Each time I find myself flat on my face I fix myself up and get a quitting baby, but this old heart just ain't gonna buy it. And if there's nothing shaking, come this here July, I'm gonna take a big bird and then I'll fly. I've been a puppet, a pirate, a poet, a pauper, pawn, and a king. I've been up and down and over and out, and I know one thing, each time I find myself Laying flat on my face I pick myself up and get back in the race That's life, that's life I can't deny it I thought i quitting, baby, but my heart just ain't gonna buy it And if there's nothing shaking this here July